Hailing frequencies are open. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Clear Skies, our Star Trek Adventures live play here with the Streampunks. We are back after our winter hiatus. We are recharged, we are anxious, we are excited, uh, and we are kind of confused by the state of the world and somewhat tired. But uh, we are also very happy to be playing some Star Trek this evening. And as it's the start of the new year, uh, we don't have a ton of announcements to kick things off with. Just a few like reminders of things that you can look forward to. Um, this is the year where you are going to see a Mirror Universe episode for Clear Skies. You are also going to see some more Time Kid shenanigans, which I'm super excited to get into on that one. And I believe Ravity is going to be planning at some point a Bachelorette game using the Ten Candles system. So uh, we also you have Elisa Pearl's game. Elisa uh, Pearl's game. Yeah, she also has a game, and Bonnie as well. I knew Bonnie had a game. What's Elisa doing? I don't remember. Elisa's running a game for a bunch of. <laughs> She's running a game for you, Eric. She's running a game for me. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I should I should ask her I should ask her what game that is. <laughs> <laughs> um so we got a lot of stuff coming up in 2021 as we continue to very slowly roll out our fulfillment from our fabulous fundraiser that we had in the summer um before before the before before everything just came crumbling to the ground. Uh thanks to the madness. Like of second crumbling, maybe the, third. Yeah, uh, what we I would say it's a sustained crumble, and then finally structural integrity gave out, and things just kind of ground to a halt. Like That's a stale gingerbread house. Yeah, so it has um, water damage. No, no big announcements overall from my end on things. Does anybody have any announcements or shows that they would like to announce that they're kicking off here at the start of the year? Uh, coming up, yes, Xander. Just in general, a few of mine, including an official Pathfinder stream, uh, failed save with Gina, and uh, some other things. I am generally on Twitter. It's all of my schedule stuff, so you can find me at Xanderithic with two R's and one F. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Anybody? Yes, Aki. Um, recently announced a Chaos Initiative, with whom I do my Rime of the Frostmaiden game over on Roll20 and D&D Twitch. We will be launching a Star Wars game in February called Desperate Gambit, a uh, Desperate Gamble, um, and they start their GM uh, prep shows for that on Roll Twenty this upcoming Thursday. It's being uh, run by uh, Distracted Elf and uh, Quiddy, otherwise known as Abria Iyengar. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I also have one more thing that I'm super excited to announce, but that announcement does not officially come out until Wednesday, uh, in which time I will be super excited to share all of the details with you. But uh, I guess as a little bit of a treat, I am doing my very first independent production, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Varnas, Varnas. Anybody else have anything that they like to announce before we jump into stuff? Yes, Sam. Power Play returns this Sunday uh, at 5 p.m. here on Q Times. We had our first season of Rick Bud's absolutely delightful little breakout hit uh, four color superhero comic kind of thing. He built a lovely world. We kind of toppled it a little bit and we're going to experience the consequences of our actions and it's going to hurt starting this Sunday. You just summarized why I have, what I have observed into why Sam likes to play tabletop RPGs. <laughs> <laughs> Hurt me with consequences, the RPG <laughs> from the creators of Flesh World. <laughs> All right. So if there isn't any other announcements. I have one more. 
What? I'm about, we're, we're back. It's a brand new year, which means brand new consequences to my actions. I'm excited. <laughs> there it is. There it we is. missed you, Ox Crew. Let's go ahead and jump into tonight's episode of Clear Skies. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> we were just commiserating over how we don't know where anything is. Yay! All right, let's go ahead and jump back into our show. Uh, so when we last left off, the crew of the USS Ross had a very intense, very dramatic night of fairies and alcohol and singing and dancing <laughs> and uh, celebration and in some cases, possibly uh, finally uh, confessing of feelings and other things kind of evolving on the ship as we uh, had our sort of Midsummer's Night's Dream play hosted on the promenade. We're going to be picking up this season of Clear Skies roughly six weeks after that those events took place. So it's been a little over a month and the Ross has been in operations here in the Shackleton Expanse. The USS Ross has been stationed here in the Shackleton Expanse for uh, a, a <laughs> I would say the Ross's tenure here in the Shackleton Expanse has finally started making noise across the Federation. The exploits of the USS Ross are becoming known across the fleet. 20th Fleet has now got its name in the papers, as it were. Admiral April Hebert is been promoted to Vice Admiral, is enjoying the attention that Starfleet is now giving 20th Fleet, being out here on the edge of the frontier. The rebuilding efforts in a post-Dominion War society is going well, but the Ross is doing exactly what Starfleet hoped she would do when she was commissioned. She was meant to be a beacon to once again reaffirm what it is the United Federation planet stands for. Not only that, but to commission a new starship built solely on unity and symbolism and bringing together species across the galaxy in a joint effort to promote diplomacy, peace, and exploration, the Ross has been succeeding. And as a result of that, 
the assignments that the Ross is being given in the Shackleton Expanse have become more and more important. A lot of the scientific surveys that you all have done, including with not limited to the extraordinary encounter with the being on an uncharted planet that revealed an entire ecosystem that existed out here in the Shackleton Expanse eons ago, the birth of a new crystalline entity, which has the scientific community exploding with excitement in that they thought they were extinct due to the actions of the Federation. Also the contact with the Tholians, the disruption and smoothing out of relationships with the Klingon Empire, <laughs> thanks to uh, the events that have been taking place on the station. Uh, although the Ross's F uh, contributions to that aren't widely known. However, the Ross's encounter with the Romulan Star Empire and its role in smoothing out those relationships is known. The Romulan Star Empire currently with the United Federation of Planets is no longer at a hostile level. It is now very rightly considered neutral, tipping towards friendly. This is more in line with where the Romulans were in the Dominion War, post-Dominion War, before Sela started making her move to overturn the Senate. And of course, that took place after the death of the entire Romulan Senate at the hands of Praetor Shenzong. Right now, though, there is a lot of talk about a new Praetor up and coming in the Romulan Star Empire. And the Federation has no idea who it is. <laughs> just that the Romulan government seems to be getting closer and closer to reestablishing its government by rebuilding elected officials and rebuilding the leadership. All y'all know is, and all Federation intelligence has had to confirm is that it is not Sila. Sila apparently, according to uh, Federation intelligence in just the past month, has not been brought up quite often, as often in intelligence meetings with Starfleet. Starfleet believes Sela is laying low right now and biding her time. She still has a lot of influence in the Romulan Star Empire, but she, she is not making the big push. There's not an opportunity to seize control like there was before. That doesn't mean she's defeated. And the Federation still believes that Sela is the single greatest threat in the Romulan Star Empire and has another card to play someday. Therefore, any Romulan activity detected in the Shackleton Expanse should be approached with two things in mind. One, the Shackleton Expanse is technically unclaimed territory outside of the sector where Narendra is located. And it's being kept this way as to not incite hostility on behalf of the Romulans. Claiming territory on this side of the galaxy would certainly agitate the Romulan Star Empire. The Federation is not interested in expanding out here. It's all scientific exploration, and they're, they're holding true to that. However, the second thing to keep in mind for the USS Ross is we're back to where we were roughly in the TNG era. If you encounter a Romulan vessel, proceed with caution. You don't necessarily know who they're answering to. <laughs> Until there is a central leadership that has been fully reestablished in the Romulan Star Empire, all Federation vessels have been encouraged to approach Romulan ships with the utmost caution and care. In other words, nothing has changed. <laughs> nothing has changed at all. That being said, this past month in the Shackleton Expanse 
has been an exciting month for the USS Ross. Because of the Thunderchild undergoing all of its repairs, the Thunderchild is now back underway. However, there is talk of the Thunderchild being reassigned to somewhere in the Alpha Quadrant and a replacement ship coming in to fulfill the role of the Thunderchild. The 20th Fleet, by order of Admiral April Hebert, is always going to have an escort class vessel available to it here in Shackleton Expanse. Um, so not that not that big of a deal. The Ross, as a result of the Thunderchild being out of commission and the USS Johnson being a workhorse of a vessel, constantly fulfilling all of the roles that the Thunderchild couldn't fulfill while it was under repair, means that both the Ross and the Johnson have been constantly switching back and forth between escort duties and diplomacy duty and basically doing all of the heavy lifting. That's slowly starting to come to an end now. Specifically also because ever since General Kolar took command of Klingon forces at Narendra Station, there is now a stronger Klingon ship presence here in the Shackleton Expanse. Before, the Klingon Empire had two vessels operating here. They now have four. Four Cavort-class birds of prey are now operating in the Shackleton Expanse. At least that's what Starfleet has been told. <laughs> Klingon operations and what they do with their fleet is it is agreed that that is Klingon business <laughs> but it can fluctuate from time to time suffice to say the point is is that you have all noticed in your times coming back and forth in the ranger station there have been new Klingon personnel passing through and a lot more activity on the station the last thing to note before we jump into the story tonight is that Narendra station has indeed become the thing that they always thought it would be this is the galactic frontier right now I mean, there are many swaths of unexplored space, but because there is now access to the Shackleton Expanse, after all this time, it's finally happened. Explorers of civilian stripes and merchant ships have all flocked to Narendra Station, and Narendra is quickly hitting capacity. Starfleet is talking of whether or not it needs to expand and actually build more space station <laughs> to accommodate and turn this into a deep space space station. Um, right now, the merchant traffic that's coming through here, along with civilian craft that's coming through here, has quadrupled in just the past month. There are mining craft vessels, civilian exploration vessels, and there is a long line of people looking to establish colonies. The Federation has been jamming that up, however, for the exact same reason that the Federation didn't want to claim the Shackleton Expanse. The Federation is trying to discourage colonization out here in the Shackleton Expanse. The Shackleton Expanse has only just been starting to explore about a year's worth of mapping. You guys have explored in all the things you have done here, just the Ross and the rest of the fleet, about one one millionth of the Shackleton Expanse has been explored. <laughs> and the Federation is trying to encourage people to slow down. <laughs> We're not there yet. Plus, the subspace eddies have still not been explained. Um... We start tonight's episode off just as the USS Ross has completed scans for the past 46 hours has been scanning gaseous anomalies out in the middle of nowhere. Every now and then, ship assignments come in where you are made to chart some celestial phenomenon that might seem quite mundane in this day and age, but are in fact important, particularly here in the Shackleton Expanse, 
with all of the subspace anomalies that can be detected out here, scanning gaseous anomalies does occasionally yield some surprising results. However, for the past 46 hours, there has been nothing surprising about this. And in fact, once again, the crew of the Ross out here on the edge of the frontier has discovered that they had some downtime <laughs> once again, unless you were a scientist, in which case you were loving it up. Using the Ross's brand new high definition, long range sensors, this giant telescope in space has been doing quite a good job scanning up to 17 light years away. The Ross has been cataloging gaseous anomalies, but it's also been taking this opportunity to sort of catalog everything else. And Lacat, the time you have been spending with Dr. Yada has been thrilling. Yada has an impressive imagination about what lies in the great beyond and is trying to wax poetic about what these mundane scans of gaseous anomalies could mean. After hours and hours of talking to Dr. Yada, what you've discovered is they don't mean anything. But Dr. Yada is very excited about them. <laughs> after, after multiple hours of being thrown at what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, you've finally gotten Dr. Yada to confess, oh, there's no evidence that any of this is true, but wouldn't it be amazing? <laughs> it would. I love getting the same data over and over and over again for 72 hours straight. Uh, Yada would approach the glass swimming right up and looking at you. You hear the voice coming across the computer screens. Uh, and Yada says to you, looking you in the eye with that clever eye of his, just says, cat, you need to teach yourself to be excited by even the most minute mundane things. Otherwise, you will go insane. Um, Lacat just stares back and says, duly noted, um, she's gonna look back at the data and see if she can muster an ounce of joy amongst anything here. The very first roll of the new season. LaCat, roll for joy. I need a reason <laughs> science check. Difficulty zero. Oh my god, I rolled a 17 out of 16. <laughs> you find no joy here, LaCat. This is a soulless dead place where science goes to die. <laughs> nothing. I stayed home today. <laughs> <laughs> home, two decks away. Two decks yeah. away. Um, um, but no, so yeah, LeCat looks at it joyless. But I think that uh, she's enjoyed her time with Dr. Yada. So she, like, is trying. She's really trying. She gives a pained smile back and looks back at the data. Yada lets the buoyancy slip away and he sinks a little bit lower and lower onto the glass until he's about eye level with you and says, well, we're ahead of schedule. So that would mean colleague small talk. Jane just, has Jane ever been good at small talk? Possibly never. Um, but you know what? She's, uh, she turns back to Dr. Yada and says, you know what? This data is so joyless that I think that that actually might be preferable right now. How have you been? I've been restless lately, if I could be honest. I have been too. It's been, I mean, you know, 
same thing over and over and over and over again. But mm. yeah, I'm, I, I want it to begin already, I guess. I feel like we've been set back so many times. And mm. like the journey that we were originally sent on, it's never really started. And so I'm hoping, I'm hoping this is finally it. It's interesting, isn't it? When we first got to the Shackleton Expanse, it seemed like every waking moment was spent running from one crisis to the next, one mind-blowing exploration event to the next. Now, for the past four weeks, we have been conducting ourselves the way a standard Federation starship conducts itself, and somehow it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> It does not. I um, I think I told someone at some point that I feel like my life only makes sense to me when it feels like it's on fire. And, and the fact that it hasn't been on fire for the last few weeks is, yeah, you're right, unsettling. But Kat, has there ever been a greater cause to once again remind you to be careful what you wish for. I don't understand the question and I won't respond to it. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. The universal <laughs> translator didn't quite catch that. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, excuse me. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't quite catch that. Um, the cat says nothing to that because okay. she does not want to curse it. Um, okay. But I think that, uh, be careful what you wish for. I mean, what's the worst that can happen, like Kat says instead. Uh, but she says it kind of tongue in cheek because I don't know, she she is looking for something just a little different. Just all I'm asking for Dr. Yada, she says looking Dr. Yada in the eye, all I'm asking for is just one strange spatial anomaly. I should just award myself a stack of threat anytime <laughs> That. It's a cube of threat. <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm not asking for like the Borg or anything. I'm just, just one anomaly. What, to... what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Abort mission. Abort. I just, I just want, I just want one spatial anomaly. That's it. That's it. You know, know that. When the Borg and the Dominion show up. Oh no. <laughs> the Borg Dominion appears. My um, word. <laughs> All right. Um, um, yes. So the cat just uh, laments the fact that she just wishes she wishes on a star that she had one more interesting thing to look at, but she enjoys her time with Dr. Yada and is later going to try and convince them to swim through some more stars. Oh, yeah. within time, any time. Actually, the cat, since we're ahead of schedule, I'd like to yeah. show you something I've been working on. If you'd like to come into my quarters and oh, take a look. Close. She's already she's already going into the court. Like every time she gets invited in there, she's okay. so excited. She's she's off and running and she's she's you suiting up and she's she's jumping in. You walk over to a wall and it opens up and you step into the panel and extend your hands and the suit comes down, seals over the top of you, and you just the helmet just goes and within seconds, you are climbing the ladder and 
jumping into <laughs> the tank, as it were, sinking to the very bottom until buoyancy hits neutral and you sit there hovering. A few of the other cetacean officers seeing you and acknowledging you as they swim by, it's, it's, it's familiar to you and in some ways very charming because it's the exact same way Ox crew nods to you, Lacat, when they're walking past you in the corridors. You see a lot of the cetacean officers bobbing their head in a nod as they swim to you, past you over to some of their consoles. Yada pumps his tail and moves up to you very effortlessly and kind of swirls around you for a sec and you hear his voice in your helmet say, I have been taking this time to map as well as I can every time we have come across a spatial anomaly. Now, at first, there was nothing particularly unique about this, and I don't have anything in conclusion just yet. Nothing conclusive, I should say. But um, let me show you what I've been noticing recently. And swims over to one of the consoles, and you see the holographic protector goes... And the Shackleton Expanse begins to expand out as the lights dim in the area around you and you find yourself once again in a sea of stars. Yada maneuvers over to what looks like, uh, almost like Pac-Man pellets in space, just kind of like connected through dots, just glowing in these bright puff balls in this darkness. And he swims over and you see they're kind of in lines and you can also note that there is a measurement of light years between each one. And you see what looks like seven consecutive spatial anomalies that look like they've formed a line. And Yada swims over to it and says, now, probability. And the fact that there are so many spatial anomalies means inevitably, just like the constellations, you are going to come across anomalies that form a line. And it's important not to let your imagination go crazy with that. I mean, the what if is certainly exciting, but you can't attach any specific significance to that unless you have mathematical reasons to do so, or at least a theory mm -hmm. as to why it would happen. I have a theory as to why this might have happened. This, uh, this, these particular anomalies were mapped after this star date comes up on the screen. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I find it fascinating, my cat, is because this was the trajectory of one of the courses the Ross plotted. These anomalies formed behind us when we were traveling. Now, it didn't happen all at once. It did occur over a longer period of time, but I have noted since we have returned to Narendra Station and then back out into deep space, these anomalies have formed. I don't have enough evidence to put this in front of the captain just yet, because right now, again, we don't know the full nature of how these anomalies appear. We're still getting that technology from our dear friends, the Jashashians, which will make this much easier on my path. However, I'm keeping my eye on this. It could be something interesting. And uh, worst case scenario, it could be that we might be tearing holes in the fabric of subspace. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think so either. This is, this, this sparks joy. <laughs> Guess what, Lacat? What? what, what? I need you. I'm so roll, ready to roll something. To roll an insight science check at a difficulty of four. Okay. Oh, Jesus. Um, okay. Don't Can I, back. we don't have any momentum yet, do we? No, No, because you botched that. Momentum. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, uh, is, is this to just, just as a quick question for you, Aaron, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. is this role to examine um, or take a closer look at like the seven sis oh. sisters? Uh, no, but... Okay. Because I would like to do that as well. So I might do that as a, if I can still do that as a separate role, yeah. I would 
You can do that absolutely, yeah. Do you, okay. do you have, remind me what your, I'm wondering if you have a talent that might actually come into play here. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm I was like cautious science, uh, duty and discipline, um, tenacious, dedicated, uh, wait, hold on. Choose a focus your character has when attempting a task where the focus applies, each d20 that generates two successes also generates one bonus momentum. Um, that's handy. What that. focus do you have? What about technical expertise? Did you have that one? Mm. Yes, I do. Yes, I do, but that's for sensors. That's oh, that's a good right. thing. That's, that's, that'll definitely come into play in your next role. Yeah. It's not going to come into play just yet. Awesome. Um, yeah, on the back burner. My foci are survival, sensors, xenobiology, astrophysics, first contact protocol, deep space tactics, and subterfuge. Wait, I'm sorry, was that ASME physics? <laughs> you have become focused in the physics of ASME? I mean, maybe. <laughs> Curious. Bodies in motion, uh, of course. Oh, naturally. Chemistry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I'm just going to, if we have, I mean, you know what? I guess I just got to roll my two dice and go from there. Yeah, I don't think any of those focuses are actually going to apply here. Uh, you can, by the way, don't forget, if you want momentum, if you want to get that bonus, you can. You just have to do the thing that Sam always encourages people to never, ever, 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 ever do, which what is rewarding me threat <laughs> to gain <laughs> to gain that extra d20. <laughs> You, you get the die, but you don't get uh, the re-roll like you do with Cautious. That requires the bold talent, mm -hmm. the strictly worse version. That's I have true. no opinion about that's that. True. That's true, that's true, that's uh, true. After I just wished for, uh, or didn't wish for a Borg, like <laughs> giving you more threat, Eric, what am I, an idiot? Well, keep in uh, mind, I mean, I that's a really good argument for it, yeah. Per player, so I've already got uh, 12 over here. Yeah, yeah, fair. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> Okay, I, I'm just. Funny, I start every episode with twelve threat. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that or not. I remember you at Shield of Tomorrow. You switched and started randomizing it because I was like card counting them. Yeah, in, in all honesty, uh, I don't mind you card counting the threat. Uh, I, I, in Shield of Tomorrow, I was trying to get a little more control of the narrative and throw a little more variable at you. But in this, in the, in, in Clear Skies, I actually like you guys being able to basically predict where a plot a plot turn might happen so you can join mm -hmm. in sort of like the collaborative aspect of how to expect a story to turn so i don't mind it so much here i start every episode with two threat per player of course you do mm -hmm. of course mm -hmm. um i mean i think i can only roll two um, i i think that because you already have so much threat um i'm just gonna stick to rolling my my two dice oh wait i'm sorry yes one of your focuses would apply Yes. Which one? Which one? Uh, I don't want to tell you just yet. Oh, jeez. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Well, it's a good thing that I got a four and a three, my friend. No shit. Yeah. I mean, it's What's this your science skill is five. So those are both yeah. criticals. Mm hmm mm hmm Okay. Um, look at... It's, it's exciting to see that Yada has discovered something interesting, but there's a chill that runs through your spine. Like you've just had a holy shit moment, except you're not 
sure what it is, but there's something about what you're seeing here that Yada has shown you that he's oblivious to. But mm-hmm. something has clicked with you, and you're trying your damnedest to figure out what it is, but there's something that you're looking at right now that has got you kind of like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I'm staring at something right now. What am I seeing? What am I seeing? What am I seeing? This is important. What am I looking at? It's like having it at the tip of your tongue, but you don't know what it is. Damn it. Um, I think Lukat just goes quiet, and she's like staring intensely at this. Um, She, oh man, I'm looking at my foci right now, Eric, and every answer that I have for all of these foci, one is worse than the other. Um... I, I I would like to um, let's see. I mean, I, I'd like to actually do my other role that I, I wanted to do. Okay, go ahead. Something that I can gain from that as well. Sure thing. Uh, so basically, my intention here is to um, I just want to gain more information on the um, seven uh, objects that we have seen that are all in a line. Um, But I'd like to specifically examine um, the, like, the rate of birth, I guess, um, is to see when each of them were created, how uh, Mm -hmm. far apart they were created from each other, and if there is a new one forming as well. Um, I think that's, that's what I'm trying to observe here. You're trying to get your, yeah. Okay. I get you. And you're trying to basically form a predictive algorithm to find out if there's going to be any more. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So go ahead and make your roll. That's going to be, do you have astrophysics? I do. Aha. That will definitely apply here. Um, do you have spatial anomalies or anything like that? I do not. Okay. That's fine. I have sensors. Um, uh, no, it's not going to apply here, but uh, astrophysics would probably help. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and set that. This is going to be a tough difficulty. Um, uh, no, I think this would be average difficulty with the option of obtained information spins based off of how well you do. So I'm going to set the difficulty at three. Okay, great. This will be a reason science check. Did we? Okay. I forgot the difficulty on the last roll. Did we get any momentum off that four success? You didn't. You just hit four. You just hit four. Yeah. Oh my god! Got a three and a seven. Okay. Yeah. So that's going to be two successes. Uh, no, that's three successes. Three successes. One momentum for an obtained information check if you want to. One. Um, but okay. let's go about that first. So yeah. um, I'll give you this information. The anomalies are, in fact, the gravimetric anomalies that form here in the Shackleton Expanse. Mm-hmm. You are constantly coming across it. have been here since Starfleet first started uh, establishing a presence here. Shackleton Expanse is filled with gravimetric uh, anomalies and subspace eddies that wreak havoc on the shields uh emitters on starships and they cause a lot of turbulence when you guys come across them uh traveling through warp on occasion Mm -hmm. um even the deflector dish when you guys come across them it causes a little bit of a when you're at warp the ross is such a big girl that you only feel a minor vibration in the deck plates before you're you've passed over it um when you're traveling at impulse though it's like you hit a speed bump in the road sometimes um the engineering crew has grown to fucking hate them um but thankfully, the Ross thus far has not had a, a permanent burnout on any shield emitters. Um, yeah, uh, the Ross has actually done quite well for itself in that regard. What you notice is these gravimetric eddies that have formed, they seem to be of the same intensity that you see them all over the Shackleton Expanse. And indeed, the Ross has mapped enough of them to discover that these eddies kind of appear and disappear. 
<laughs> they don't think of them as holes or actually speed bumps. They're literally just like waves of subspace or gravimetric distortions that take place. And they kind of appear and disappear all the time in the Shackleton Expanse. These um, do in fact seem to have a pattern. It looks like the first one formed and then as it dissipated, the second one formed and then it dissipated. There is a recognizable pattern to this which is probably where Yada is starting to form a theory that they're somehow interconnected. Because mm -hmm. seven in a row, that's gone beyond the mathematical possibility of being a pure coincidence. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, because they're doing it in the same synchronization. Mm -hmm. However, the one variable is the distance. It looks like it, they're appearing at random. They're not at equal distance every time they form. It's not like they're being checkmarked across. Okay. The variables and distance between the, each one is different and even though the period of random yeah it seems completely random across sub across space and it's also worth noting that the appearance and then disappearance it's not in tempo it's not one appears disappears as the another one appears and disappears it's not like that at all so it's not like a skipping stone it literally is just like it, actually skipping stone might be the exact that might be exactly how i would describe it however a skipping stone that's not keeping tempo across like yeah. like the first long skip the second short and then another long and then a little bit you know what i mean so mm -hmm. like it's not it's not keeping a steady rhythm so it does appear to have some randomness to it okay so, oh, but it's just odd how they're on the same plane and they're in the wake of the travels of the ross those those aspects to it and their pattern have led yada and now you to suspect that something is happening. Yeah. Doesn't dangerous. Um, I, I, I almost want to see if like we are like, are we accidentally emitting something that like is like le like is 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 being left behind? Um, because I, I, I know I for one have like an illegal substance that is. Well. <laughs> Rave. So, being that you, uh, being that I don't, I don't know how far you are in your in your full watch of Trek, but yeah. there was in the later seasons of TNG, there was an incident where it was discovered that constant warp travel, mm -hmm. uh, it was actually beginning to damage subspace. It was actually causing essentially oh, it, was, yeah. it was it was an episode. It was essentially it was an episode that was tapping on environmental issues, mm -hmm. and exploring the fact that warping through space was actually damaging the very thing that everyone was in love with and was trying to protect, right? Yeah. Um, Starfleet has commissioned multiple scientific bodies to study and manage that and to keep track of what's happening there. It is considered under control. And if you were going to travel beyond warp seven, that requires authorization, which we've actually played out here on Clear Skies. Mm -hmm. um, there is no new information to come in and there's no, I'm, I'm giving you this uh, sort of just as a free thing because LeCat would know this being a science officer and, and being a Starfleet officer. There's nothing that Ross has done that's been out of protocol. And the times that you have breached warp seven and, and even when you did sustain a high warp for a long time, um, there is so little warp travel out here in Shackleton Expanse. There's no evidence, and it'd be incredibly unlikely that the Ross has been damaging subspace by warping out here, or any of the other ships at this particular stage. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
I think that like Jane definitely considers that, especially if she would know that information. But I, I even if we, she doesn't think that we are damaging subspace, she still believes that like we are the cause of it. Okay. And so like, I think that she like wants to see if there is. It's it's almost like she wants to. God, I wish I was a better scientist personally. <laughs> but it, it's, it's she, she wants to examine like the emissions and see like if anything has been left behind and see if that we ourselves have been like letting off anything that like could cause that sort of damage or just something that would um like I guess like what yeah. the fuck with the gravitonic. You want evidence to see if it is connected with something the with activity of the USS Ross. You want to find out if the Ross is doing this. Absolutely. Go ahead and make a reason science check on this, but you're going to get an assist from Yada because you're basically doing what he's already done. And you're going, but this is, this is going to be an assist because you're looking at his data and trying yourself. Um, so, what's the difficulty on this? Uh, difficulty on this is going to be four. Take a, take a momentum. Yes, yeah, please. Get extra die. No. Yeah, get that extra die because you do get one momentum. Yada rolls an 18. He's not going to be any help here. Three. There's no evidence that you're coming across looking at the data. Yada seems a little frustrated too, as you seem to get a little bit excited when he sees you going through the data. And he's like, oh, good. Oh, good. Another set of eyes. Good, good, good. Um, as you're going through the data and you see the hologram appearing in front of you, um, Yada and you bounce ideas back and forth and you arrive at the same dead end that he ar arrived at. More data is required, as Cato likes to say. <laughs> um, more data is required. Well, it's a good thing that I uh, process not knowing things very well. Um, this is not going to bother me at all. The uh, cat says under her breath. The cat um, is still that nagging sensation. That nagging sensation is not going to something in the data. This is going to keep her up. Subconscious is, is, is spotted in the data, but for some reason, you're not I, sure what it is, but it's not jumping out at you. I mean, I wished for this. This is what I asked for, and now here I have a puzzle. Um, the cat would like. I mean, if if there's no more rolls that I can do because like I've, I've obviously messed up this role, um, I'd like to. Um, I, I think that she would like to just take as much data as she can from this and like continue to um, to to look over it. I think okay. that like this is her life now until she figures like, it. Out. <laughs> no, we're ahead of schedule and. This looks absurd. Let's look into this for a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but, uh, like this data. Like I could do that data with my eyes, you know, closed. Like this well, is Yada Yada takes a moment as he floats there in front of you and you see all 13 feet of him kind of flex for a second as he stretches out and says, "You know, one of the benefits of being the head of your department is you can delegate menial tasks to your staff." And he turns and you hear all these clicks and whistles. One of the other citation officers responds and clicks back and Yada turns back to you and says, I'm sure they're more than capable of studying gaseous anomalies. Let's crunch this. I agree. This is Dr. Yada. This is gonna be the year that I get better at asking people for help. Oh, okay. I can't do it all. Um, and so Jane is going to call in help <laughs> to right. take a look at those gaseous anomalies while she handles uh, this little puzzle. Okay. Ox crew summoned forth. And so Ox crew, <laughs> there are a bunch of the science officers of the Ox crew get contacted by the head of their department and essentially a very polite, professionally worded, something's come up. 
I need somebody to take control of this and delegate this task. Uh, it is menial data, but uh, you will definitely get a drink at Solon's for this later. <laughs> if you're willing to. Uh, yeah, she like, stalls for a second. She's like, I realize I'm asking for a favor here, and I... You're the head of the department. You can give an order and they'll do it. But I know. But like, I, I think that like Jane is the head of her department, but also she like very much treats her like crew like a like her tribe. Yeah, and tribe so it, there's there's never there like it's. I feel like she doesn't like pull rank that much, and maybe that's something that she personally needs to get better at. But it's well, more like I I I realize this is me like asking you to. Like she deadpans. It's like, look, this is a very boring job, and I personally don't want to do it, and so I'm handing it off to you. Um, good luck with it. I will buy you a drink afterwards. Really, you are just you're just in for a, a very few boring hours. So I'm telling you. There, what you get back is there are members of the Ox crew that are actually quite enthusiastic about spending some time okay. crunching what you would consider menial data, but is in fact very relaxing. Like accounting, okay. like no, the numbers are fine. I love it. Let's do math. Oh, that sounds good. There are plenty of members of Ox Crew. Um, oh well, there you go then. I just wanted to be upfront with you. Um, <laughs> and then she, right. yeah, and then she's gonna go uh, look at look at these seven dwarves. Let's. Okay. Let's Meanwhile, up in the captain's ready room going over multiple data pads with Exio standing before you and Asmi Shanto off to the side getting your signatures on a bunch of from a bunch of department heads. So you have been going through the motions of being an administrator of a starship. <laughs> I, I, I stress administration because right now it doesn't feel so much like captaincy is sign this, please. Um, I wasn't aware that it's a distinction. Yeah, well... It certainly doesn't necessarily feel like an administrator's task when you're sitting center chair and guiding through like negotiations of like a Ferengi trade deal agreement. But here, when it's every day, kind of like the wake up, the go through the paperwork, the assigning tasks of department heads, checking in, all of this stuff, it's very, I, I don't want to say monotonous. This is not soul crushing work at all. This is part of being a captain. But I would say that this has been the longest stretch the Ross has ever had where things have been standard. Totally independently. Saul is restless. Okay. Uh, I think what Exio will have noticed over the past few weeks accelerating is that never one to sit properly in chairs. It had the the posture has just gotten a little more absurd, and Exio has certainly noticed that Saul has a tablet where they have been engineering a new chair where they could like have their legs over the arm of it and their boots wouldn't be in your lap. <laughs> I've had to make several hologram prototypes. You have. Uh, tech has gotten uh, like CADs, like instant messages, like freaking texts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sol has been restless. <laughs> Dari at one point looks at you, Tech, and just goes, this is our life now. Mm -mm, put it on the list. Putting it on the list, sir. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I'm making everyone miserable. Um, 
Asmi takes the last data pad out of your hand and says, uh, that's all for today, Captain. It's 1400. Is that really all we have? Well, we spent six hours on this yesterday, so we're dramatically ahead of schedule. In fact, if you want, sir, I can actually maybe hold off on the next stack tomorrow, give you a day off. No, I... Why are we stopping now, if there's more stacks to do? Oh, yes, sir. Um, let me see what I can find for you. I'm sure there's Wonderful. a backlog somewhere. Um, I'll be back. Permission to be excused. Please, thank you. And she hurries out of the room with a stack of data pads in her hand and goes to look up on the backlog of computers the Ox crew has submitted requests for the captain to find more things for you to authorize. Wonderful. Um, the door closes. Um, you you readjust. Exo steps forward, sits across from you, puts her hands on the desk, says, Captain, I need you to be honest with me. Does my hair look stupid? And her hair, you, you've probably noticed, but for the last three days, she's been experimenting with curls. And it is still short and curly now. Are we talking like Hobbit look? I'm saying there might have been a miscalculation and there's a historical document called Napoleon Dynamite. Sol is going to sternly get up, lean across the desks, study it, stand up walk around to observe all angles and to be very thorough before sitting back down this time, captainly. Yes, it's ridiculous. I knew it. You wouldn't believe the sort of looks I've been getting in the halls, Captain. But I must say, there has been nothing else to occupy my mind. It is a good sign, Commander. If you can have hair like that and they haven't giggled in front of you, it means that your command over the crew is excellent. I think there's a bet going on behind my back. All eyes go straight to Xander. <laughs> the lack of giggling, I think, is part of the pool, Captain. We might have to investigate. See this? You know what, you're right. This is better than setting a fire on deck 10. It is igniting a fire in my insecurities, Captain. You're chirping sound at the door. Oh, I stand back up. Uh, Sol puts a hand on the desk and leans over real quick. Yes. Truly, you couldn't look ridiculous unless you tried and only because you tried because I believe you can do anything you set your mind to. Enter. As Mishanto re-enters the room with a very small stack of data pads. Oh, is that all? Uh, uh, yes, Captain. And uh, it turns out, um, it turns out we've been doing pretty good at this. All right, start the stopwatch, Exio. We're doing this one for time. On it. She hands you the first data pad, and we go down to engineering. <laughs> <laughs> um, down in engineering, you and Dari are just running diagnostics right now. Mm. As always, 
and forever on the plasma and EPS conduits. Mm. We got to get these scanners still working. <laughs> as as the crew grapples with the monotony of everyday number crunching, they haven't truly. It, it has become apparent to you and your engineering team, Tech, that this crew hasn't appreciated what the engineering staff has had to put up with since Lady Ross left Doc. <laughs> Again, so much dancing. <laughs> yeah, so much dancing. Again, the power coursing through the EPS relays of the USS Ross with two warp cores mm-hmm. requires constant maintenance and diagnostic work. Uh, as a result, the past couple of weeks for y'all haven't felt any different than mm. anything else y'all have done. There is nothing mind-numbing about any of this. No. This is being an engineer on yes. the USS Ross. I will say this, though. A lot of the Ox Crew engineering staff have been using this time to get to know the Jeffries tubes a little bit better. Ooh. Have had to stop a few bets that have been placed by some of the lower deck crew who have been racing in the Jeffries tube using the mag boards, which they oh. should not be doing, but mag board racing just seems to be something that manifests for some reason when there are mag boards around. Um, Jeffrey's tubes are good for them, especially because mm-hmm. that's the new system implemented on the Ross. However, when you do come to a junction point and the magnetic sphere comes to an end, people tend to go hurling off the mag board into a ladder and stairwell. And as a result of this, uh, the good doctor of the ship has had to patch up more than a few incidents and repair some fractured collarbones because of racing that has been happening uh, <laughs> from the engineering staff. However, no reprimands have been handed down just yet because, in fact, it is keeping the crew efficient and high-spirited. So, <laughs> Yeah, um, I will say that Tech has found uh, the steady flow to be very reassuring. He can get lost in these tasks, and there isn't a surprising increase in decrease in power that we'll have to account for for some reason. Uh, but no, it's been nice. Uh, and as he's sort of looking over this this other design for a chair... Uh, you can see the panel before him. He's actually got a few projects that he's had open, including a few schematics for what a deep space station could look like uh, in the Shackleton Expanse. And he sort of pushes those aside and looks at the one project he's been ignoring, and it's of this medallion that he had gotten from uh, from the cat. And he looks at it, and it's this one project. He's supposed to be looking at it, and then he puts it aside again to get back to whatever he was doing. Okay, um, you put it back and realize that someone is standing next to you. Oh. You kind of flinch a little bit, and you see Dari is just standing there. And by her side, you see one of the Ox crew, who you've seen around the ship, but haven't had any direct contact with. Um, a gentleman stands about 5'7", five, 5'8", five, five, um, looks uh, from Earth, human. Mm-hmm. Um, Filipino looks like he is standing at attention, has the lieutenant pips on the collar. And Dari looks at you and says, Chief, you're not gonna. You're she looks to see if any other crew around and she goes, You see the Andorian side of her come out for a second. She leans down and she gets that that intense look in her eyes and she goes, You're not gonna fucking believe this. Oh, whoa, no, what? Uh, this is I'm sorry, what's her name again? You see him look at her and says, Lieutenant Greg Locke, sir. 
uh, I'm the one that found the problem. Dari looks at you and she goes, he's a con officer and you're not gonna believe. First of all, before he tells you, before you tell him anything, uh, I went ahead and I just wanted to affirm this. I went ahead and when he told me this, I ran a check myself and confirmed it. A so problem. Go ahead, tell him, tell him. Locke looks at you and just goes, um, okay, well, sir, I'm a con officer. I work mm -hmm. in main shuttle bay. And one of the things that happened when the Ross left space dock is we got an entirely new complement of shuttles, which is standard for a ship fresh out of space dock. Mm. The shuttles were all fresh off the line, same as the Ross. Ah, there's a problem with the shuttle. All of them. With all of the shuttles? What? What Sorry. problem? It gets worse. Listen to oh. this. I have noticed that each shuttle is missing an auxiliary ionic coupling controller. Uh, but we need the auxiliary ionic coupling controllers. Uh, every shuttle apparently is missing theirs. Not a single shuttle has been installed with one, and it's a standard issue installation on a shuttlecraft. Why, Lieutenant Locke? Why? Dari looks at you and says, I went ahead and went into the fleet records to find out how the hell something like this could happen. And it has something to do with Starfleet accelerating the launch time of the USS Ross. Do you remember how it was kind of shaky when we got out of space dock? And we were worried about them cutting corners. All right, all right. Well, at least we caught the problem now, thanks to your due diligence. Thank you, Lieutenant Locke. We should be able to replicate the parts and repair the shuttles. Uh, we just well, gonna have to take- That's the good news, sir. Mm. Go ahead, tell him, tell him. Locke goes, oh, okay, well, uh, I was gonna say, uh, sir, that if you are willing, I'm happy to take command of the project and start working on this right away since engineering staff has already got this big task ahead of them. I could just take a small engineering team and start to work on it. it should take me about a week. Lieutenant Locke, I would like you to ask the captain about this, please. Aye, sir. And if they give their permission, I would like you to ask the captain about this, please. Aye, sir. And, uh, Lieutenant, don't let anybody fly the shuttles, okay? I just, I can't manage this security as well. Aye, sir. <sighs> uh, thank you, sir. Locke leaves. Dari watches him go and goes, Everybody needs a hobby. I mean, I mean, who needs functioning shuttles, right? We're just fucking Starfleet, right? Okay. Like, we're just right. risking our All lives right. out here in the middle of nowhere, right? And she, her and voice starts and... getting louder and louder. <laughs> and we're breathing. It's not like we don't fly the captain out on one of these things. It's not like important personnel are constantly getting on these shuttles and it could and explode. Nothing happened so far. So we're going to put it in a bubble and blow it away. Thing you build... You build an experimental class starship with two warp cores, and you impress Starfleet, and it's great, but you forgot to put the fucking tires on your shuttlecraft. I see what you mean. You have a Sorry, good sir. point. <laughs> you see she is a deeper shade of blue as the rage begins to subside slowly, and she goes, I'll, uh, 
I'll follow up with him later to see how it's going. I am so glad I am not going to have to be there when the captain hears what he's going to tell them. Maybe you and anybody you might deem fit could look into an administrative reason why this had happened. Perhaps something overlooked. Are or you, you could get back to your engineering tasks. Are you giving me permission to form an inquiry on this, sir? Do not make me regret this, Ensign. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. Whatever you need. Someone's gonna burn. Okay. She walks. <laughs> oh, fire! <laughs> she, she, she walks. Oh no! What my dad? Big blue eyes, <laughs> and she pivots and walks. <laughs> um, we can cut away to him pulling back the medallion and just sort of pondering it again. Um. Oh, that's right. You have it, don't you? I forgot mm-hmm. that. Uh, or the file, but yeah. Mm-hmm. The fi- uh, do you, wait, wait. Do you have the actual medallion or the file on the medallion? I have one that I've been working on, like this project. Oh, that I've been okay. ignoring. So, as you pull the medallion in front of you and you're looking at it, it is the same alien-looking little device that it was the last time you looked at it. Right. The the, the computer has just completely failed to identify the alien script that is that is underneath and inscripted onto the surface itself. But once again, you were looking at an archaic piece of technology that predates the, the Federation by a couple of hundred million years, perhaps, mm-hmm. and seems to be more advanced than a lot of modern technology today. It is Starfleet level technology that mm. precedes the Federation by a few hundreds of million years. It wow. is some kind of the 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 gym in the center again is filled with so much compact silica pathways that it has formed what looks like uh, what essentially what looks like a large amethyst but is in fact trillions and trillions and trillions of of this clear mild glowing iridescent sort of pathways all crisscrossing and interwining circuitry as it were mm. It, for me, just in my Trek knowledge, that's way before like the Bajoran. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. No, the the computer estimates that this predates a lot of known sapient intelligent life that the Federation has documented in the galaxy. Got this it. is this is beyond ancient. <laughs> for reference, destruction of Iconians was two hundred thousand years ago. Correct. This predates the Iconian Empire by a Gosh. long time. Uh, which I believe is like memory beta designated as like species 29 right. by the board. <laughs> so like. Way the F back. Mm-mm-mm. Way the F back. Space dinosaurs. It's the only answer. What? Yeah. Uh, or or time we, as we know, does have the ability to be haunted. Yes. So. <laughs> I mean, we don't, we don't dive too much into it unless it becomes very interesting and plot wise. But for the most part, of course, space in time being relative i mean <laughs> but we won't go there yeah. <laughs> yeah. then our heads will explode in this <laughs> yeah, we can't. We can't unravel that one <laughs> we'll keep this in star trek and out of doctor who just for now yeah <laughs> yeah so um we're gonna go ahead and cut to what would the doctor and olin like to be doing right now what do you? What would you two be doing right now, as we're catching up with you guys? 
No, you first, Bonnie. I am currently in the sick bay, um, nursing back a stupid ensign with a dislocated shoulder and sprained knee from a mag board in the Jeffrey's tubes. Again. This is the third time this week. I know, Doctor. I'm sorry. It's just I couldn't do it so well the first time, so I thought I had to try again. I, not... You did it worse. I did it worse. Yes. yes. And you have to let your injuries fully heal before you attempt it again. Yes, sir. Maybe go into the holodeck and practice some balancing exercises before you attempt a third time, hmm? Um, I think there's not going to be a third time, Doctor. Thank you. I think... Uh... Third time is the charm, so they say. What am I doing? No, don't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yes, you are correct. Your dreams? Do it again. Break everything. Um, yes, I'm the, I should not be, I should not be encouraging bad behavior. This is, uh, this is Ox Crew Lieutenant John Shepard, uh, Lieutenant in Engineering. He, uh, he nods to you as he, uh, hops down off the med bay, uh, bed and kind of, ooh, flinches a little bit as he rubs his knee and goes, that's not quite ready to so hurt. And, and your shoulder, yes? Yeah. As I, as I go to throw something at her. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Reflex. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have your worst sick bay. <laughs> I'll start. Wait. All right. Or best. Um, I'm going to go check on a data pad once more. Um, McCrell has been doing this almost every day. Okay. I'm just opening up the private message um, that she sent to Captain, to the captain and noticing that it had been opened and read. And I keep doing this every day because as far, because I know they have read it yet they have made no inclination of. McCrell got left on Reddit. It's a tough life. Eh, you just keep yeah. clicking refresh. Yeah, I see the, re it's like getting a text message where you see that they've read it and they haven't. Three dots. They've been yeah. typing for a month. <laughs> And they still haven't pressed send, and I'm just, I just check it again and and nod to myself and grab my tea and wait for the next stupid ensign on the mag board to walk through the door. Doors open. I put the tea down and will not drink it yet. You put the tea down and enters. Let's find out who enters, shall we? <laughs> let's 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 find out who enters. Let's see. Uh, My team's roll call. This is... <laughs> Lieutenant Shepard. Ensign Red. Like, she's like, <laughs> as they go down let's, the Jeffrey Street. Let's use our random generator. Um, this is going to be, it would be from the engineering team. Mm. So this is... Oh my god, it brought up John Shepard again. No, John, stop hogging the spotlight. He comes back in. I was like, third time was not the charm. This <laughs> is, oh my goodness. This is fun. Okay. Um, this is Petty Officer Second Class Tamiri, a Vulcan. Okay. How they got an environmental life support technician Vulcan on one of these mag boards to compete in one of these races, who the <laughs> heck knows? But as she enters and very calmly presents herself to you with a dislocated finger, um, you can tell that this Vulcan is doing quite the job on clenching her jaw and not exhibiting mm -hmm. the excruciating pain she must be in. 
Mm. As she holds up her hand and you see, well, a dislocated finger. I won't go into detail. Um, and it's enough for you to kind of, ow, as you take her hand and begin to <laughs> gently chastise her as well. Um, now, how many times is this? Because third time is not the charm, so don't do it again. I need what to work on my bedside She looks at you as her eyebrow quirks and she says, I'm sorry, doctor. What is charming about attempting a task three times? Exactly. So don't do it again unless you are certain of your skills. Maybe practice in the holodeck. No, no. Don't do it again. Where do I find a mag board? I would be happy to show you, doctor. Interesting. <laughs> and we if pull I, out of sick bay. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, maybe if I in help if I try it and show them how it could be done, it would prevent injury. I'm doing this for them. Your yes, role this, modeling this is, them to do it will definitely discourage them from doing it wrong. This this is medical prevention. This is exactly this is work. This is my job as a doctor to <laughs> to do the race, to show them what not to do on the Mac board. And that was how the USS Ross lost its chief medical officer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been great playing with you all. I shall leave now and turn off my camera. Thank Who you. Knew? Who knew that someone could achieve that speed in a Jeffrey's tube? But never, never, never doubt a very determined Cation doctor. I give birth to a crystalline entity, but die in a Jeffrey. She can fly. She can fly. Hey, right. she's on your feet, Brendo. You didn't actually want to do that at all. That was not the objective, but hey. Um, but uh, you've given you've given a hell of a story as to how they had to repair a hull breach. So well done, Doctor. Well done. <laughs> but in my defense, I won the race. You you won the race. You you left the Ross behind. <laughs> <laughs> my God, ludicrous speed. Go. All right. I've gone to plaid. <laughs> what is Olin up to? Um, I think uh, week one, Olin was like, oh, maybe we'll meet new species and do something <laughs> diplomatic. And then week two happened. And then week three. And I think that they've just been hiding in the diplomatic suites. Like, they've barely even shown up like on the bridge, like they'll pop in for the first five minutes of their shift and then just disappear. I think, <laughs> I think Olin is learning something about themselves. When you flew to deep space, this is your first deep space assignment and you were, you had a certain b expectation of what was waiting for you out here. And the, your first, your, you know, the first handful of months here on the Ross has certainly met that expectation. However, now that you are out here and things are moving smoothly, you find yourself constantly looking over your shoulder back to Narendra Station and the Diplomatic Corps uh, at Starfleet to find out what's going on. There are all sorts of incredible, important conversations happening on the political level right now. Some of the higher echelons of power are having galactic changing events taking place at negotiation tables. The repair work that is being done across the quadrants since the end of the Dominion War 
in the friendships that are being forged, the new trade routes that are being established, the old prejudices that are being set aside, the renewal that's taking place. And then, of course, there's everything that's happening on the edge of the Romulan neutral zone right now, which you almost got a taste of. But then you made the mistake of fixing it. <laughs> and now it's been quiet. And the Diplomatic Corps, you're constantly, Olin, every morning after you report to shift and review all of your files, talk to the Diplomatic Corps staff here on the Ross, you find yourself watching the news a lot and reading the cables as to what is going on and feeling like you're kind of on the sideline when on the USS Ross, the Diplomatic flagship of the Admiral, nothing's happening. How many times you've walked the promenade now? It's been quiet. And maybe before this is okay, and sort of some downtime, but damn it. <laughs> You're starting to feel that restlessness settle in. They've been writing a lot of letters home. Okay. Um, and, uh, They're starting to think they made a mistake. Um, I, I was going to say, I think, I think some of the letters that you get back from home are what you would expect. A lot of them even encouraging you, like, listen, there's a galaxy of possibility out there. We support you, whatever decisions you make. Is You get support back. Anytime, especially with your parents, anytime you get any kind of note, like a hint that you are looking over your shoulder, you get that support. Uh, when they're not in their office, um, they are in the holodeck with patients. And oddly enough, they have been spending a lot of time um, on Delta, um, which uh they would never normally do but for some odd reason despite the fact that they hate this planet they're feeling a little homesick mm -hmm. um and they haven't really been reaching out to anybody um especially not jane because jane's so happy right now they're like don't want to bother her mm -hmm. and they're not really very close to anybody else on the ship so they've been very solitary lately. Okay. It's been a very hard four weeks. Um, and if there's somebody, if there's one person that knows how to hide that they're going through shit, it's an empath. Somebody who knows how to how to mask the ebb and flow of emotion. Um, the civilian crew of the Ross has been going about their, their tasks as normal. The promenade has become very lively, especially because every time you guys have stopped at Narendra Station, new civilian staff that cycles in and out from time to time brings new shops that actually open up on the promenade. Um, new you know, restaurants have opened up on the promenade. The USS Ross now has seven restaurants on the promenade, each hosting a collection of 
both replicated and non-replicated cuisine that it is able to constantly restock from time to time. Uh, as a result, the promenade has become what you, Olin, had always hoped it would be, which is literally a mobile diplomacy platform that is currently not being used. And it's nobody's fault. Out here on the edge of Frontier, where everyone was hoping that you would constantly be running into, into first contact with new species, what you find is the truth of deep space travel, that for every species out there, there's a hundred billion worlds that are not inhabited. The great expanse of space, the sheer immensity of this galaxy. I mean, even the size of the Federation, the Alpha, the Beta Quadrants, all of it, for all the territory and all the conversation that has happened, so much out here, if you're not careful, can actually feel as empty as it looks. And you have discovered that you're falling into that hole that out here amongst 1,900 crew members and 600 civilians, it's lonely. Patience has been patient. <laughs> she has been constantly following you about and giving you questioning looks, and you're not sure if she's asking something from you or if she's trying to discern something from you. But you keep getting a sense of anticipation. I mean, part of the beauty of being an empath means you can literally empathically feel what patience is experiencing from time to time. And all you feel is concern. Hmm? Concern. Hmm? Concern. Hmm? Um... I think uh, on this particular day in the diplomatic suite, um, they've just finished writing up a letter to their mom. And um, they are looking over probably a report they've looked over like five times. Mm -hmm. Like literally nothing new is happening. And um, they are, They are thinking about a crate that has been hiding in their room for however long they've been out here that they have not had a chance to open because there has been no reason to. Okay. Um, and they are thinking about a crew that they are having a really difficult time relating to like they keep playing the conversation they had with Dr. McCrell over and over and over in their mind and just kind of wallowing in the awkwardness of it and they're also thinking a lot about the big diplomatic missteps they've made um, over the course of their time and they're like yeah, it's very much a, they feel lost out here and they don't know what to do and they don't know who to talk to. So anytime they feel that concern for patients, they kind of just look at her and go, I don't know either, girl. I really wish I did. Um, and several times they have started the sentence in the letters to their parents, I really wish you were here and then deleted them. Um. 
And that's kind of, that's just kind of been where Olin has been. Like, they don't have right now any particular sense of belonging or uh, purpose. Okay. Like a dust moat just floating through the galaxy at the moment. Uh, it's it's feeling it it is it is something that you have heard people warn about the dangers of deep space travel. Um, that even when surrounded by people, that if one is not careful, or if one isn't really checking in with themselves, they might wake up one morning and feel like they're out in the middle of the void. Um, that has been pressing against you. I would ask two things. Ha well, actually, one thing. Have you been spending any time in 10 forward? I think uh, maybe for the first couple of weeks, they would have popped in here and there, maybe just kind of for the sense of like All any sort of there. social connection. But other than that, they've, uh, after like a little while, like even being around people and feeling that disconnect has started to become too difficult. Mm -hmm. So they've like fully retreated into just like, yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> there is a chirping at your door as you're staring at this crate. Because being an empath, you already know it's Solon standing outside that door. And I think, and you'd have to correct me, Aki, but I think there may have been a part of Olin that saw this coming. It's been a few weeks since you've appeared in Ten Forward. Solon being part Vulcan would it, would suggest that they at least have, I mean, well, everything about Solon suggests that they have the emotional intelligence to know that something is probably up. Um, I think uh, Olin pauses for a moment before uh, before acknowledging the chirp. Okay. Come in. It's... <laughs> You're not sure if it's for shock value, but the clothes that Solon is wearing when they enter the room are surprisingly bland <laughs> it would best be described as like a long sleeve shirt and tight leggings with just simple brown boots as they walk in the door and they're all two colors browns and blacks it's kind of it's jarring to the senses to see the light form of this Vulc this half Vulcan walk in the door and just smile at you and as the door closes behind them they just look around and should I alert security that we've been invaded by changelings? I like to surprise people from time to time. You look like somebody who could use some surprises. I don't know about surprises so much as just anything at all. Yeah. I haven't seen you in 10 forward in a while. I thought I'd come check on you. Oh... Well, that was very kind of you. Um, a little bit overstimulating, to be honest. Uh, ten forward. I get that. Believe me, I do. 
they um the atmosphere in Ten Ford can be overstimulating for me sometimes. Did I ever tell you that? I don't believe you ever have, no. There's a lot about my upbringing that makes it very difficult for me to socially engage sometimes. And sometimes I'm putting on a face to keep things moving forward and to keep people feeling comfortable at Ten Ford. And I'm sure as an ambassador, you can agree that gets very exhausting. Oh. Well, considering I haven't had the opportunity to put on a diplomatic face in a month, I'm not sure I'm uh, entirely... uh, I entirely remember the sensation. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because there's something I need your help with. I somehow doubt that, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll humor you. I need a mediator. For what purpose? Well, a few of the cooks on the promenade have been having a bit of a debate lately, and it's gotten a little heated. So much to the point where there's something of a rivalry, and I don't mean a friendly one taking place on the promenade between two of the restaurants. I think it sure use somebody who knows how to get people to listen. You want me to mediate a debate between two chefs? You seem the right person to come to. You're one of the Federation's finest ambassadors. Okay. Great. Well, I'll contact you soon and let you know when they're both going to be in the same room together. We can ambush them. That seems ill-advised, but okay. Well, we're out here for adventure. Well, yes, I, I suppose you're right. I'm so sorry. Everything about you right now is just very... It's throwing me off. I'm... Are you sure you're not a changeling? Are you sure I haven't lost my mind somewhere in the last four weeks? I'm sorry. I I have also just been a little bit... Just let me know when you need me. I will be there. Good. Because it sounds to me like you might need to lose a little bit of your mind for a while. Been spending a little too much time with it, I think. (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps you're right. Um, uh, thank you for stopping by. I'm sorry, I'm... Yeah, anyways, somebody told me once I should stop apologizing so much. I'm trying to get that down myself. Um, I hope everything is otherwise going well and ten forward. So far, I'll keep you updated. If we can just get people to stop arguing over their food on the promenade deck. And they start to back out of the room as the door is and pauses and says, what do you know about Talaxian cuisine? I've never tasted any of it myself. What do I know about Talaxian cuisine? Can I roll for it? 
no, I can tell you. I mean, you you can actually make up what you want, but Talaxian cuisine is. I would imagine I know quite a bit. You think so? Okay. I mean, um, there's it is somebody... new to the Federation, but it is definitely a unique taste to it. The recipes that were brought here when Voyager returned. <laughs> there was a a a a, a, knee, a neelix, I believe, that they encountered out there. It was a a bit of an aficionado of many different culinary styles and um, quite eclectic. I'm fairly certain that Neelix and Tech would have loved each other and maybe also hated each other. From what I can tell from personality uh, profiles, uh, either too similar to get along or so similar you couldn't pry them apart from each other. Hmm. Do you think we should weaponize this fact and perhaps use Chief Tech in our endeavor? I think Chief Tech would actually find this either... I Honestly, if there's anybody more qualified than me, it would be him. Well, let's use both of you then. We'll come out guns blazing. I don't know anybody with a more sensitive palate. Well then, stay tuned. Stolen, take, Stolen takes a step out and the doors go... I don't know whether to be amused or insulted. Up on the is bridge. It, is this what it's come to? <laughs> yeah. Up on the bridge. And done. What's my time? Captain, <laughs> hear a chirping sound and the... Oh, 13 seconds, Captain. <sighs> Slowing down. You hear a chirping sound coming from the intercom, and you hear the voice of your chief of security say, Captain, we have a priority message coming in from Narendra Station. Thank you, Commander. Put her through. Admiral April A. Bear appears on your screens. It says, Captain, AXO. Surprise. How are you doing, Admiral? Good. Good to see you, Commander. We have a bit of a situation, and you are the closest starship. How many times have you heard that in your lifetime, Captain? Mm. Fewer than when I was close by to things. Side effect of exploration, I suppose. Mm. We have a science research lab that has gone quiet. It could be nothing. It's a planet that is known for its storms. But ah. just as an overabundant sense of precaution, I'd like the USS Ross to go make sure that everything is okay. Coordinates are being submitted right now. Report back when you have any information. Simple Absolutely. enough. How are things going over there on the station? You have your new general, don't you? General Kolar has helped me understand how much of a job Cargan wasn't doing. And I don't That's... mind saying that on an open channel. Let's just say it's nice when a joint effort between the Klingon Empire and the Federation is not being run by one administrator and one angry child. <laughs> not to speak ill of the dead, but since the Klingons have labeled him a traitor, I don't think they'll care. Truth of the matter is, between us, Kolar has it together and he's whipped the station into shape in high discipline mode. In fact, 
I've had to step up my game just to make sure that the Federation doesn't look like a bunch of slouches around him. It's been fun. I'm glad you certainly deserved a better class of collaborator, Admiral, but if he's so competent, why did the Klingons send him to Narendra? They don't consider it nearly the kind of prestigious post that we do. Turns out he requested it. We figured out why? No, I don't have that kind of relationship with him yet. He's pretty tight-lipped. Keeps things pretty close to his chest. Doesn't even go out drinking that often. Jal has made some headway into warming him up. But, you know, the ambassador, if you don't get drunk with him, then he just assumes you're a tight ass no matter who you are. Never met anyone quite like him. He plays it pretty close to the chest. But at least he seems like a quality Klingon for now. If he's making your job easier, then I like him already. Cyvek is the one that's been having the most fun with this. Really? My first officer is leaping at the opportunity to actually have another administrator on the station that likes to run a tight ship. Almost taking offense to it, to be honest with you. But like I said, I don't mind somebody who pushes me to be better. We must forgive our subordinates the crime of occasionally liking to look, work with other people. Hmm. Look taxi over very quickly. Look back. <laughs> Like By the way, may I roll an insight check just very quickly? What's that? Of, uh, I, I need to roll an insight check the of Admiral? the Admiral very quickly, yes. Sure, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I don't think this is my sense motive rolls into this. Uh, basically, I got to see her face when she saw Exio. I want to see what uh, micro-expression I can read off of her for her reaction. Difficulty is one. Great. Make your check. Yes. I'm not even going to make this contested. I got this for you, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, that's a four and an 11. Two successes. Gain your momentum. Um, uh, you might be, might be that the Admiral finds Exio's haircut to be adorable. Oh, get it off me. Um, but there is also an amusement. Like, not a mockery, but an amusement there. The way, the way, uh, imagine, if, imagine if when we went live tonight and one of us popped in on the screen and we had a haircut from the 80s. Kind of the same, <laughs> kind of the same reaction that the Admiral's having at spotting uh, Exio with a, with a head full of bouncy curls that's cut I eat the reaction never good bad when Xander popped on screen. <laughs> I was about to say, now the 90s on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> a moment of silence for Xander. Fashion is cyclical. I've just <laughs> arrived at the incorrect rotation. <laughs> and Exio is never late, nor is she early. No. <laughs> I fashion precisely how I mean to. <laughs> um, All right. Good. Uh, so that is a thing that Sol has noted as this conversation winds to a close. Keep me posted, Captain. It's one of the very few research stations that we've established out in the Shackleton Expanse. It would be a shame if something started happening to it already. We'll get underway immediately. Make sure everything's all right and get word back to you. Hopefully they've battened down the hatches or 
whatever they do in this kind of storm. Keep me posted. Narendra out. You step out onto the bridge and Vryn swivels over to you and says, Captain, course has been laid in. Ready to go at your command. Excellent. Uh, alert the science department that they have about 10 minutes left on their gaseous anomalies, record everything, and then pack it up. I'll do what I can to pry them off of their incredibly interesting duties, Captain. Hey, don't make fun of them. They're why we're here. We, f we fly them around so they can have fun. I enjoy being science taxi, Captain. Good. I'm glad to hear it, Lieutenant. He smirks and turns back to his console. Prawl, ever the serious and uh, Trill, just looks at you and says, Captain, I pulled up some of the tactical documents on this research station we're going to. Excellent. Brings uh, it up on screen. Perfect. What do I it think? is, uh, Captain, what you see on screen, you and Exio behold what quite literally just looks like a collection of pods that have been linked together. This is, this is like basic level, just like booting up off the ground science research station. You've seen these before. These are pods that typically uh, some of the colonial units will use. The Federation does this thing when they're doing this kind of like quick set, uh, station research where a ship will actually fly in low atmosphere and literally drop these pods like dragon rockets right onto the surface, which then land touchdown in synchronicity and then connect each other. Then the science and staff will go follow down on shuttlecraft and, and continue setting it up. And by the end, week's end, they have a fully functional, uh, completely operational science lab station that's capable of supporting life for up to two years um, with living quarters and everything. Uh, this one touched down on this particular planet only about seven months ago. So it's been out here for a good long while. Um, the system is called the CAFIDAR system. K-A-F-I-D-A-R, CAFIDAR. And this is on CAFIDAR 3, a Class L planet with vegetation, which should please look at, but no animal life. Earth-like, has high concentrations of carbon dioxide in the air, but it is breathable. You can go down there without a suit if you need to. Uh, the winds, the winds gust up to 56 kph, so it's quite windy down there. And the surface temperature is 8 degrees Celsius, so wear a coat. The wind chill factor puts it close to freezing. So lots of icy blasting wind in your face. Ren is going to be wearing board shorts, and we both know it. Yep. Vren is going to be like, yeah, we're going to the beach. So... <laughs> Do you know how cold it has to get before the Andorians on our crew put on proper protective gear? <laughs> and how much even farther before the macho ones do? Right, right. And and Vryn is a pilot, so double trouble. Double macho-ness. Um, also... Rare attack, <laughs> just bring one with you. You'll want to have it later. You see the chief scientist on this research station's name is Dr. Ryan Cabot. K-A-B-B-I-T, 67-year-old botanist and environmental scientist. Apparently, they sat down here on the planet specifically to take preliminary readings um, and to study the crust because this planet was being considered for terraforming. 
I make a but, mental note to ask uh, Lacat about him. Sounds like someone uh, she might have worked with or known. Okay. Same field. Uh, but it's true. Their regularly scheduled transmissions have not been received by Narendra Station for three weeks now. They check in every week. Three weeks over time. Now, there have been intermittent periods where they've missed a week or two because of the because of the interference in the storms. But recently, nothing. Nothing, nothing. So nothing. these could are be, three missing transmissions, or this is... Uh two missing this is three total okay so it's because you can have the three weeks like, and the two tra- yeah you miss cool. one we don't worry you miss two we start to question you miss three we send somebody how far away are we from them out of curiosity uh, at warp seven you guys are about four days away okay Oof. okay space is big space is large <laughs> it's not small course laid in captain just as lacat steps onto the bridge and senior staff begins to assemble at their stations on the bridge your kiddo's got everything packed up lieutenant yep all all of it looking exactly the same exact same data just <laughs> one after the other um has and lacat has just been like nose in like metaphorical data about the um other seven the seven dwarves and i think that's what she's been purely focusing on um i think she's she's still reeling on space taxi (laughs) science taxi um that's that's where my brain is at i'm like i oh oh she had heard that um but i think that she's she's ready to go she has she been like debriefed on this entire situation i'm guessing yes Um, i mean yeah, I think when you enter the bridge, you would definitely see the layouts in front of you. And then as you guys jump to warp, the captain will probably brief everybody in the staff is, room. Is Ryan Cabot a name I recognize? Uh, yes, actually. Ryan Cabot is a very well-known uh, xenobotanist. Okay. He's been studying... Uh, has been studying... You, you, know, you know the name Ryan Cabot mostly from the Academy. A lot of your research into botany, being that that's what you are, yeah. Like that, um, a lot of Ryan Cabot's research into botany has been extraordinary. He's literally written the books on few of the terraforming techniques to help update them to make them not only more efficient but less evasive to the planetary surface, as well as the atmospheric conditions. Um, Cabot's got a bit of a reputation for kind of being the crocodile hunter of botanists. He's the one that goes. He's the one that kind of goes into places that a lot of people would think he's wild for doing it, but he does it out of the sheer love and joy of exploring plant life. Um, This has taken him into places that has almost cost him his life a number of times, but the papers that he has written and published and the seminars that he has hold are taught at the Academy and are legendary. Uh, so basically you're saying Jane's a fangirl. <laughs> you see the name Ryan Cabot, you see the old man. When, 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 if you can, Ryan Cabot essentially looks like Robert Redford today. He is okay. like an older man with short hair, very well dressed, has a very warm expression on his face. Um, very unassuming. Oh, God, get it. <laughs> and, uh, an, a waterfall of scientific awards, endeavors, papers published and stuff like that. Great. You had no idea he was out here beyond the edges of the frontier. He's been in the Shackleton Expanse for seven months and you didn't know it. He's been out here on the edge of space this whole time. Where 
Are, Captain, are we about to go save Ryan Cabot? Well, that's the hope. It's going to be four days, so I hope nothing terrible has happened or he hasn't been eaten by a plant or something. My Cabot! Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Continue. And that was when Eric Campbell was ejected from the USS Ross. Aye. We cut to an extreme wide shot of the USS Ross and just a little of it. Just me pulling away from a bad flash cut. Um, yeah. Are you kidding me? It would take more to take out Ryan Cabot than a stray Venus flytrap. Are we... God, I have to write back home to so many Academy friends. I get to be the first one to meet him. This is amazing. Um, is he in trouble? What's happening? Yes, it's... The station has gone out of communication for three weeks. Possible storm situation. Okay. Um, what what is it? We we are too far, right? Like, what is our distance from this place? Four days, you said. Four days at warp seven. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I'll keep an eye on the scans as well and to see if there's any reason we should be additionally worried as opposed to just Ryan Cabot. Oh my God! Have you read his book? <laughs> Vryn looks at you and says, "Are you, are you talking to me?" Yeah, I mean, you too. I mean, I was actually kind of talking to the captain, but you know oh. what? If you've read Ryan Cabot's book, I will absolutely talk about it with you. Also, if you don't have a copy, you can use my copy. I'll leave you a copy. You know what? We'll talk about it after you've read it. Great. Yes, I think we'll leave it for another time. Thank you. Oh. Yes, right. Four days. I mean, captain's oh. got four days. If you read really fast, you could finish it before we get there. Perhaps, Lieutenant, you can get me a brief on the meteorological condition so we can understand what might have happened. On it, Captain. Wonderful. And I got a six, and I got a 13. Course is laid in, Captain. Take us to warp. We have to meet Dr. Cabot. With that, the, US Ross, the USS Ross, you hear the engines come online as the warp core goes into effect. The Ross turns and leaps to warp. And that is where we're going to take our break. We do. We'll be back in 10 minutes with part two of our mission tonight. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you soon. Welcome, 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 welcome back to Clear Skies, everybody. Let's go ahead and jump back into tonight's episode. Um, as soon as <laughs> I, I love, I love Gina's like space chair setup so much. <laughs> I love your space chair, Gina. <laughs> it's she like was outside chair. on the hull. We brought on her back hall. in now. Exio taking a walk in the hall again. It's I mean, my only solace. Look, some people <laughs> mad bored. Yeah. That was another lifetime for me. In space, no one can see your curls. But not for Petty Officer Orsini, who's in the sick bay right now. Good gracious. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll go ahead, unless there's any scenes, you've got four days. So if you want to do anything between now and arrival at mission point, you can request scenes here. You're muted, Rave. What were you saying? Oh, hey. Um, I mean... I think that, like, I personally, uh, or Jane personally, would um, like to see how Tech's been doing on that little medallion that he's been working on. Um, that she, so, uh, that has just been kind of, like, sitting in the back of her mind. Um, okay. Because, you know what? She's been examining these, like, these seven anomalies, and it's been like, have we been, um, 
trailing anything that could possibly, you know, uh, you know, affect uh, subspace. And um, she remembers that the medallion was um, emitting something that even like her own sensors didn't recognize. So she kind of wants to go follow up with tech on that to see if, um, you know, there's, there's anything there. If, okay. if somehow these two things are connected. Okay. Um, so yeah, she's, she's gonna, um, I, I, you know, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily late at night, but also depends on what your definition of late at night is. Okay. Yeah. Is uh, tech a night owl? I think so. Like in a studious okay. way. Okay. Are you in your quarters then, or? I think he's in his lab on the holodeck. Uh, he's got a few projects open, and so he, uh, yeah. Yeah, you can find him uh, reviewing a, a second schematic for a deep space station and what he would do to tweak it. It's different than the first one. Yeah, I think walking in, you might actually see something that looks very close to some of the design laboratories at Utopia Planitia shipyards, where when the moment you walk in, you see there's this big hollow emitter in the center of the room that has the concept drawings that Tech has been putting together that essentially turns uh, the space station into something that looks a little bit large, a little more in par with Starbase One, so a huge space station. Huge deep space space station, uh, but some modifications made to it to text to text specifications. Huh. Oh, ah, oh, Jane. Is Can that? I... Wait, why, why are you surprised? Oh, good to see you. Hi, what? Uh, have you been here the whole time? Are, are you hiding something from me? No, I just get kind of lost in my projects, and so I tend to not. Oh, very... Can I do an inside check? Is he hiding something from me? <laughs> you can check. <laughs> I'm looking at engineering schematics. <laughs> um, well, Jane rolled a 20, so. <laughs> um, I ain't telling you nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jane, he um, he's probably hiding something. You get the impression that he's probably maybe something that he's been hiding from you specifically um as that 20 i'm going to activate that as a complication and initiate anxiety <laughs> and you feel like whatever it is that tech is trying to like whatever it is that tech is trying to to absolutely press upon you that is nothing is clearly fucking something and it has yeah. something to do with it has to have something to do with you i would react like this and Jane's eyes kind of narrow and look at you, Tech. Um, and she... How Can are I you? help you? Huh? How, how are you? Like, well, I... Doing all right. We're keeping quite busy. Uh, got a lot of projects. And, you know, my time is really full. And, and I... What's it so full with? We've got four days of downtime. Well, we've got these sensors, which you haven't been having any problems with. Is that true? And I've got two warp cores to maintain. And all right, the bottom line is, Jane, I haven't had time to look at the medallion too much. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I just no, haven't. No. Had time. Okay, is that it? Is that really it, though? Yeah, I just don't have anything. I don't have any anything for you. I'm sorry. I mean, did you at least? I mean, you see that it's like emitting something, but we don't know yeah. why. So I clear the way, uh, all the yeah. schematics, and bring up my holographic representation of the medallion. 
and I sort of uh, take it apart in in a sort of schematic way of uh, the parts that I can understand at least. Mm-hmm. Okay. None of this makes any sense. I mean, I, I understand that there's some sort of circuitry, but this machine is so complicated if it's a machine or a rock. But it's ancient. That, yeah, very. Um, well, have you tried hitting it with something hard? It feels like a McCrawl tactic. I'm sorry. Just, I, I, I just, I, that's literally where I'm at with it. I mean, I, I touched it and then I saw someone. I think and we might be out of my area of expertise. I mean, I can't think of a machine besides a holodeck that could do something like that. I mean, but it does, like, there's nothing to suggest that it, like, is similar to a holodeck at all. I'm, um, and nothing happens when you touch it. You don't feel anything. I'm going to be blunt with you, Lieutenant. I have not touched it, and I have no desire to touch it. Thank you. Why not? I would not like to touch the rock. Thank you. Even even for like the sake of science, though. Mm-mm. Engineer, scientist. You just spotted the difference. <laughs> I think we're a lot more similar than you think. Um, I like that you think that. Oh, God. Can I? <laughs> the part of her like wants to try and get him to touch it, but she like, but oh. No touchy. My. <laughs> Why are you so hesitant about this? Well, you said it caused you to see something. So you Don't. just, you, you have no interest in seeing the ghost of your past is what you're telling me. I mean, I suppose- Absolutely not, Lieutenant. Are you kidding me? That is what I run away from every day. Thank Chief you. Tech has no desire to touch the ancient alien acid tablet. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I, think, I think that Jane like clocks the, uh, that's what I choose to run away from every day. That is um, <laughs> no better place. To, she 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 says to Tech, no better place to do that than Shackleton, I suppose. Um, if you're going to get lost from your ghosts, this is the place to do it. Um, uncharted space. Mm. All right. Well, Dari's asleep, isn't she? Dari is also working on a special project. Cut to, for dramatic purposes, (laughs) Dari shouting like Han Solo trying to get the Millennium Falcon to take off in the hangar. (laughs) (laughs) Shouting at people from across, put it back right now, put that, like, like all the shuttles, all of these, all of these shuttles, like there's, there's a a total of uh, four, type eight personnel shuttles that are currently being dismantled and reassembled on the, in the shuttle bay right now. And Dari is talking, like shouting at superior officers to get their shit together. And the chief tech is expecting these fixed. And the captain hasn't even heard about this yet, but you can bet your ass that when they do, they're gonna be down here on the shuttle bay. Now, do you wanna be the one that says, captain, I know there was a problem, but look, we already fixed it which is actually enough leverage to cause some of the lieutenants and ensigns to start listening to Dari as she is giving orders and delivering directions. Cut back to you guys. <laughs> Good, because um, I have my Thoros check ready if I ever hear about this. <laughs> that scene is coming next. <laughs> um, all right, if you won't touch it, then who are we going to get to touch it? Well, um... 
let's see. I don't think a scientist's mind or an engineer's mind is what we need to look at this with. Absolutely. I mean, well, I suppose a better question is who's, who doesn't have ghosts in their closet or skeletons in their closet? Because if something is gonna pop up, I'd rather it be something we feel like we can handle. And so Jane then chooses to uh, like, with with that phrase of like, who is the most mature person on this <laughs> <laughs> shit? Who could probably handle the shit in the face of their own ghosts. Um, and yeah, yeah, just like, let me, let me think. Um, and so I think her mind immediately goes to Olin um, and turns to Tech and says, Olin? The ambassador. Well, I suppose no that ghosts. would be mature. an advantage. Probably won't lose their shit in the face of their ghosts. I think that's a good... Right? I right? suppose, yes. Uh, and also not an engineer or, uh, like, you know, not an engineer or, or a scientist. So, you know, I think that checks literally the five boxes we have about this. Because we have nothing else. Chief uh, Tech Ambassador Olin Maginil. Well, there is not... That, that is out of nowhere. Olin is here in your quarters. <laughs> Um, go for Marginil? Ambassador, I, I don't mean to trouble you, but would you be able to join Lieutenant Lacat and I in Holodeck 1, uh, in my lab? No, it's, of course. Yes? It's, it's a matter of importance, I think. Alright, I'll be right down. Also, uh, just bring any emotional kit that you might need. Uh, she has, she has four legs. She goes with me everywhere already. Sounds perfect. Do you want snacks? I can bring snacks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring the kit and the snacks. Tech out. Emotional. <laughs> uh, kit, you know, you've always got to tell them to bring the kit of some sort. <laughs> Olin, you head on down to deck 11. Uh, stepping into the turbo lift. I mean, the 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 corridors of the Ross right now are dimly lit as you are now into the night shift. Uh, as you step off the turbo lift, uh, you see a couple of sporadic people walking through the corridors. Oscar nodding to you, Ambassador, giving you deference. As you approach Holodeck 1, you see it is in use. You open it up. <laughs> the heavy doors sliding open. You all see the arch appear as the doors slide open in the wall of this laboratory. And stepping in, you see this very sterile-looking scientific engineering room where a bunch of concept designs for starships and whatnot are being holographically projected up under the wall. You see a glass wall that looks over uh <clears throat> that this kind of goes out into space and in the middle of the room is a hollow projector standing around it is your shipmates chief tech and lieutenant jane lacat thank you so much for joining us ambassador um not at all i i brought a charcuterie board oh yeah, what is on the charcuterie board? <laughs> I think Olin has amassed a bunch of different treats, uh, cheeses from across like the the Alpha Quadrant, like all kinds of like from like, and I think that 
they kind of went for a slight familiarity with this one because they could have gone like super out there and done like a Delta quadrant like uh-huh. board, but they decided to do, you know, homestays. So these would all be like familiar, uh, like kind of, you know, just that feeling of hominess to the board. And so. you can see like af- mouthful after mouthful, there's just a wash of emotion that that hits Tech's face and well, I'm sorry, did anybody else want some? No, I'm good. I, I, I honestly I brought it for you. Thank you so much. It's been it's been kind of stressful. If I, uh, uh, and he pulls out a, a metal briefcase. Uh, and this is not holographically projected. This is an actual briefcase. And he flips it open. Uh, and inside there's a tiny force field projector with this medallion that's been set inside, sort of kept safe. Uh, and he'll bring it over and put it on the pedestal and uh, deactivate the force field. So why exactly have I been asked down here? Ah, well, before I show you anything, I feel the need to say that we have every intention of showing this to the captain. Um, I also asked Prawl for his help on this as well, but we just haven't gotten to it. But now that I'm here looking at it again, we thought that you would be best and... Sorry, I'm rambling. Um, I bought something, and I don't quite know what it is. And there may be some cause for concern, simply because of the nature of unknowing. And unknowing is not necessarily bad. It just means we need to understand it and take it apart like any good scientist. But I, I think that both Chief Tech and I are a little out of our depths here. And before we return to the captain, I would like to not just show up and say I don't know what this is because yeah. as you know I there's there's literally nothing I hate more than admitting I don't know what something is um so that's why you've been called here um you know the um, data that we do have is that it is able to be activated in some way and the last time it was through the lieutenant's touch yeah you touched um, it and... I met a creature, a person, a thing. I'm still deciding. Maybe it was a projection of my own. It certainly wasn't my own memory's projection because they knew things that I certainly didn't know. Hmm. But it's, um, yeah, it, it's... Eric, remind me of the name. It was Aotun, I think. The being referred to itself as Aotun. Aotun. Yep. Um, so I tell you that name, and I, I have never seen something of Aotun species. I uh, don't recognize <laughs> any of the signatures emitting from this, and again it was activated by my touch so you seemed like the obvious choice and jane says nothing about seeing her dead Mm. relatives we're just she's leaving that off the table until it's necessary um so you might get the feeling um olin that she's like keeping something from you but i don't think that 
like I think that she genuinely wants to know about everything else. So it's it's less like she's trying to hide that information from you. She's just like, we're just gonna save that for later. Um, so that's what that's the read you get off her. So you bought something, you don't know what it is, you don't recognize anything about it, but you touched it and it activated something. And now you don't know what to do with that. And 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 we have yet to tell the captain, yes. Like, well. Yes. Well, as someone who's keeping more than one thing from the captain, I um, can relate to that uh, feeling of apprehension. So, Um, um, what? I still haven't told them about the situation with the Vorta. I mean, I mean, it's resolved now, so it's not really. Yeah, it's behind us. It's not like I didn't ever tell them about it. Yeah, just Jane turns to uh, <laughs> Tech. Yeah, Tech doesn't know yeah. what you're talking about. Like a tennis match of like, what? Like, what? I'm what? sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that? Vorta? <laughs> um, we need you to make you sign a blood pact in order to not release this information. Uh, it's, I've it's, never it's, done that. She's pulling your leg. You don't have to sign a blood pact. Um, Anyway. He wasn't. Only Olin would probably catch that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we go back to the... uh... So I'm I'm curious, has anybody else touched it since you've discovered this object? Check has opted out. All right, now why specifically would there be apprehension at touching the object? Hmm. Well, uh, Tech is caught on that we're sort of skirting around the issue. <laughs> um, the <laughs> artifact is uh, uh, very old. That is the other data point that we have. Uh, it seems to be any, something that's the oldest on record. Does it look like anything that you would know of? Tech is more cautious than I am, and some would say that is a good thing. Touching foreign objects apparently is not up his alley in the same way that it is up mine. Olin is not going to say what they were just about to say. Um, Mm. They are going to instead um, uh, approach the briefcase and kind of uh, observe the object. I see this shot as Olin looking down and the two of us like over your shoulder, like looking over the glowing <laughs> like briefcase. So I guess they're they're getting kind of to they are trying to get in general surface read on this on this metal like on this disc uh first. Okay. Um as Olin moves over to the disc, you're you're glancing down on it. Uh there is a strange writing on it that's what is Olin's knowledge of culture? I mean, because if there's one person that has like an expansive knowledge of culture and languages, it would be you. So I'm just curious. Do you yeah. have any focuses? I have, in I have a focus in anthropology and cultural studies. Okay. Um, go ahead and make a roll difficulty five. Cool. 
Um, I'm gonna. We, do we have any momentum at all? I imagine. Technically, we, we have two, but we should possibly just have one because we've had so many scene changes. Um. Yeah, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep following my philosophy of not penalizing you for us jumping around on the scene changes. I think once we arrive at the planet, I would have deducted a uh, momentum. But mm. I think that I think I'm gonna. I'm treating the whole journey to mission as a scene. Sure. Then we have two. two I will take a momentum so that I can buy an extra die. Okay. And then, and I think I want to burn a value. Okay. What are you going to burn? Uh, I have a value called the galaxy is my culture. Whoa. Okay. Um, all right. So go ahead and that's going to give you two automatic successes. Then that will absolutely count. And Wait. this is uh, what? What was this roll again? Reason or insight? What is it? Uh, let's see. It, w w uh, this would be. I think this would be insight science. Okay. Yeah. It's not a bad roll for me. So. Yeah. Yes, three successes. Three more. Hold on just a second. Uh, how how do you like seven? Yes. <laughs> Additional or total? I, I got seven total. So nice. gain momentum as you obliterate the difficulty five. Yeah, <laughs> I rolled a natural crit and a three. Olin, they sit here and tell you about how old this thing is and whatnot, and you're listening to it, and you lean over and look at it, and you feel your breath catching your throat the moment you stare at this thing because as a kid, when you started becoming more and more interested in the cultures of the galaxy. You know how, like, when you're a kid and you learn about dinosaurs, one of the first things you want to do is find out which is the biggest dinosaur, which has got the biggest teeth, which is the fastest dinosaur. Like, you want to know all the biggest, baddest stuff first so you can pick your favorite dinosaur kind of thing. When you started learning about the cultures of the galaxy, you started asking questions like, what's the oldest race? What's the, what's the biggest race? Like, things like that. That's a, that is a... Uh, that is something that has followed you into adulthood. And every time there's been a new discovery or a new first contact, even if it's just a quick readover, you've managed to read about it. You immediately spot and understand what this language is. They're off in their estimations. The computer is not completely accurate with how old this thing is. It's not quite as old as the computer thinks it is. But you also know that the other times that this has been documented, it has also been somewhat confusing to some of the technology that has come across it because of its age. Specifically, this language that you are reading right now that you see is carved onto the surface of this. You're not entirely sure specifically what it says, but it was first documented by the crew of the USS Enterprise. This thing was created by a race once called the Progenitors that was discovered in recent years when Captain Jean-Luc Picard and captains of two, uh, three other species came across um, a piece of a map that took them and, and revealed to them that there was an ancient race that supposedly is the race that is responsible for giving, for seeding all sapient life as you know it in the galaxy today. It's theoretically the race that spawned humanity, the Romulans, the Vulcans, the Klingons, supposedly one of the most ancient sapient races the galaxy has ever seen. 
Um, some of the documentation suggests that not only were they the creators, but there's also theories among people at the Daystrom Institute that believe the preservers and the progenitors are the same people. The preservers are the ones that were first documented by the crew of the USS Enterprise under the command of Captain James T. Kirk. The progenitors have a striking similarity and the languages that have come across, they seem to be the same people. As you're looking at this, you immediately identify all those curious little squiggly lines that are across the surface of this thing. And you are dumbstruck staring at this thing. Um, this medallion is ancient beyond imagining. This thing was probably crafted around maybe 50,000 to 60,000 BC on Earth. Um, it's putting it up pretty far away from the original estimations of hundreds of millions and more like predating the dawn of humanity on planet of Earth. Um, it would probably be somewhere around uh, the beginning of the evolutionary chain for humankind in that in that vicinity of the hundreds of thousands of years mark. You're looking at this and as you're staring at it, you the two of you see the reaction on Olin's face mm -hmm. if they <laughs> look at this artifact. If this is real, Olin, you were looking at something priceless beyond measure. I'm going to start by saying whatever you paid for this was not enough. Oh. And whoever you bought this from will lose their mind if they ever find out just how much profit they lost out on. Lose their mind in a good way. In somewhere across the galaxy a Ferengi rolls over and it's sleeps. <laughs> and <laughs> like, moment in the Simpsons where Homer throws his arms up to the air and goes <gasps> and you just hear the <laughs> <laughs> And Olin begins to explain to them uh, what it is that they have in this lab. Yeah. I have no reason to believe that the Frangier brought this off of was an honest person. How do we know this is what you claim it is? Because that... I would say that whatever reaction it had to you would be fairly strong proof. Though it could have been a one-off, some sort of fun little trick programmed into the device. So it's a toy? An, an well, old toy? I guess the only way to find out is to see if it happens again. I would not like to touch it again. <laughs> um, Jane Jane looks hesitant at the idea of, of, of holding the Italian again. Um, like, honestly, just uh, you, I think that you get like extreme hesitation rolling off her, Olin, like almost like she's on the, and, and I think that because you're like a sibling to her, you, you almost feel that she's about to ask you to, she's like, okay, I'll touch it but like, you have to turn around <laughs> but like, she doesn't quite that, um she, she um, is that why you brought either do like a chance first? Well, if the ambassador feels moved to touch the medallion, I wouldn't want to rob them of the chance. It's 
So this is why you actually brought me down here, is both of you are too afraid to touch it, and you want me to do it instead. Well, when you put it like that... When you put it like that, you know I can't stand stand down from a challenge. (sighs) Oh, I know. I remember the last one I issued you. Um, We don't want to push anybody outside of their comfort zone, so you don't have... Fine. It's fine. Honestly, I'm very curious now. I want to meet this progenitor, if they're in there. Wow. Can you lower the force force field, please, so don't burn anything? Oh, it's down. He lowered it. (laughs) All right. And uh, Olin, feeling no such worry or compunction, because they really, they know there's hesitance. They don't know why. They are going to pick up the medallion in their hands. You hold this cold metal medallion in your hands and look at it. There is a sound in the air suddenly that both Tech and you hear, Lacat. Sounds like a very subtle ringing of chimes. You, on the other hand, Olin, feel this onrush of pressure in your head for a second. And then the center gym lights up. And I don't mean like a subtle glow. I mean, it pops like a star. Just, it illuminates the entire room. The first thing that happens as this erupts is the shocking reaction from you, Chief Tech, as you see the light exploding out of this gym immediately destroys the holographic projections in the room. It tears them apart, revealing the holodeck over your head. destroys the holographic interface off the bat. Doesn't look like it's killing the emitters. It doesn't look like it's causing damage. It looks like it literally just wipes it clean. And all you see is the holographic uh, images overhead. And then you and LaCat both black out. Captain, on the bridge, there is suddenly a lurching sensation. There's like in my stomach, right? Surely my ship did not move. What's that? Like a lurching sensation in my stomach, right? Not surely my chief engineer and chief scientist and the ambassador aboard my sh- did not move. My whole Actually, hatch. You were in your quarters because this would have been late, so Exia would have been on the bridge. Okay. Well, then it's not in her stomach, is it? So, Exio, on the bridge... Did I vaporize? What happened? <laughs> as you're sitting in the center chair, you're, med- you're yeah. getting some readings from the yeah. that is currently at the helm when uh-huh. the ship lurches and drops out of warp. <laughs> the impact of the lurch is so much that the chief of security, who is right behind you at the station, goes hurling right over your head and impacts on the ground and rolls across the front of the bridge. There are sparks as all of a sudden the inertial dampeners cause the ship to literally, it's like hitting the brake. The Ross goes from warp we seven. the brake to warp seven? So the entire ship oh. and comes to a stop. Uh, um, the power on the 
Lurkers before it is restored, and you see one of the yellow members, alert status report right the, now. The ship immediately goes to yellow alert. It defaults the moment it happens. You just you hear the alarms, the klaxon blare out. You say status report. No one says anything on the bridge. Vren. Vren is remember this is beta shift, so everyone oh, right. is off shift. Beta shift. Uh, who's our con on helm? Yeah, on, on helm is Fawn Rosel. Rank lieutenant. Uh, that would be lieutenant. Yes, lieutenant. Um, everyone on the bridge is slumped over and unconscious. Everyone on the bridge is completely unconscious. Uh, I put out an, a ship-wide announcement. If you are conscious, uh, make yourself known. Ping immediately. Roll for consciousness. <laughs> yeah. I would like to roll for consciousness. You put out, you say computer ship I, I, I put out a ship-wide roll call. Okay. You're met with silence. Captain. You're met with silence. I blip to the captain. You appear in the captain's room. Inside the captain's quarters, you see a lot of Azari's uh, accoutrement just hurled all over the place. There are some artifacts that Azari's brought with them from Orion that they just keep as a safe sake. Um, there's some books that you've seen Nautilus Re gave Azari as a gift. You see a couple of things that that Azari, you see Azari's uniform and Azari themselves in the bed, or at least should be in the bed, has actually been hurled, looks like across the room and is lying on the ground, unconscious. The bed sheets have been torn completely free. The bed has been torn free? What it looks like to you, the moment you arrive, is Azari had probably laid down to go to sleep. The captain was asleep when the ship came out. And whatever happened, they did not wake up when they impacted on the wall of their quarters. Commander Exio to sickbay, please tell me anyone is awake. There is no reply. Check pulse. <laughs> you rush over. Captain Sol is very much alive. Okay, I pick them and up and put them back on the bed. You easily pick them back up and place them back onto the bed. Um, um, I'm have, you can see they have an abrasion across their their forehead. Yeah, um, uh, an abrasion, like a like bleeding. Uh, mild bleeding, yes. Okay. Um, it's nodding to the point where the skin has slightly split. I pull down my sleeve and press my hand against their forehead. Okay. Um, and I, which, you know, isn't cloth, but it's still habit. Um, and uh, I'm going to, while I'm doing that, I'm going to be picking up things that have been strewn about that I know sort of has a general place while system tapping into um, the the Ross. Like, I want to pinpoint what just happened. And if no one's awake to do it for me, the ship can tell me what happened. Okay. Um, easy enough for you, Exio, to access the main computer from the yeah. captain's quarters. 
It's not looking good. Main power is completely offline. The ship is currently running on auxiliary power. You are at station keeping right now. Um, All personnel is accounted for. Everyone's uh, life signs on the ship are steady. Nothing's fluctuating. It doesn't look like anyone's been killed. But as you you and your incredibly fast cooking break, scanning through it really fast. Sure. Um, Since I'm gathering just like a general oversweep up can I just assume that everyone just got knocked unconscious or are there people that look like they just dropped? Cause I'm going over footage. I'm going over like, okay. You basically, information. I want to know if just ever, did everyone just hit their heads or did everyone pass out? Which is everyone different. blacked out within two seconds of that right. happening as they were collapsing to the ground, the ship was lurched out of warp. And when it happened, did it look like it was a ship wide? Everyone was fine. Then everyone dropped or did it look like it came from a radius from outside the ship within the ship? Is there a wave pattern to the blackout? Is there There's a wave pattern to the blackout? Okay, it take originated in holodeck first one. That dropped. Computer, first person that dropped. First personnel to be affected by unknown wave pattern. Lieutenant Jane Lacat, Chief, Tech. Where are their location, computer? Holodeck one. Um, and the moment I hear that, I just look down uh, at Captain. I say, I'm going to figure this out. And then blip. When you appear in holodeck one, immediately you feel your resolution scramble for a second as you appear, as the integrity of your physical form gets challenged by the energy that's radiating in here. You see Lacat and Tech are on the floor. The ceiling of the holodeck looks like it's been wiped, as I described it before. And Olin is here, which sensors did not tell you. Olin's head is currently thrown back, and they look like something out of a Dragon Ball Z cartoon. Oh. Light is exploding out of their eyes, out of their mouth. Their head is thrown backwards. They're not saying anything, but you can see this energy going (laughs) pulsing around them. This disc, this object that they're holding in their hand looks like it is just bursting and pulsing with light at the same intensity as Olin. Does it look like it's hurting them? No, they look like they're frozen in a, a moment of stasis. Okay. So there's no sound, there's no screams. No. Okay. Boof. Um, Okay, think, think. And I'm kind of destabilizing. Is this like a quick second before I'm assuming I might get turned off kind of thing? You're not sure. The unknowns in this situation are so incredible. Okay. Um, I, I'm so sorry, Olin. I'm going to figure this out. Um, force field around Olin. Computer immediately erects, uh, top level force field around Olin. The light seem, it doesn't seem like it's having any trouble containing that. Okay. Um, however, the energy is still emitting through the force field. Through the force field? Mm Oh no. Okay. Deactivate force field. Mm. I'm gonna pick up something heavy. Okay. And I'm gonna throw it at Olin's hands to knock them at whatever she's they're holding out of their hands because okay. I don't know what that is and I it looks like it's bad to touch. 
the only thing in here that you could pick up that's heavy that is not holographic is a what looks like to be some kind of steel briefcase that's I very close a steel to Olin. Case in Olin's hands, and I. As you reach I'm over so to it, hand, as you reach for this briefcase, your hand begins to, for lack of a better way of describing it, derez. Oh. You just see your hand go as the holographic integrity begins to break apart. And that's just because of proximity and time? It seems to be. As you put your hand towards the briefcase, you pu- um, you instinctively pull it away. And yeah. you, watch, you, watch your, you watch the matrix of your program reweave your hand back together as soon as you pull your hand away from it. From the briefcase? Mm-hmm. The, because the briefcase is right next to Olin, like within about a foot. Ah. Of Boo! <laughs> Okay. Is there's no other loose objects in this room? I just kind of back up and start taking in the room. Where's the charcuterie Um, tray? Very. What's that? Charcuterie tray. Mm Mm-hmm. Can I throw that? Yeah, you absolutely could. Just. You wouldn't have to roll for it. Okay. Um, You. It hits the object. Immediately goes flying from from Olin's hand, flips across the room. Drops to the ground and wobbles and comes to a stop. Force field. Uh, Force field erected over who and what? The medallion. The medallion goes dim. Okay. Olin? Olin is in the exact same state. There's still light emitting from them? And not from the medallion. Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Uh, I drop down to uh, LaCat and and, and, and uh, Chief Tech, check pulses. I know we all just got knocked out, but still, they were in closer proximity to the wave. Okay, you drop down to start checking the pulse and, and just looking at them. Tech and Lacat. There was a flash of light and Olin disappears in front of all of you. Right now? Just like that, they're gone. You two are standing there in the holodeck and Olin has vanished in front of you. You have no idea what's happened. There's a column of light from the floor to the ceiling here at the holodeck. And Olin presumably is somewhere in the middle of that, but you don't know. Tech and you, instinctively looks at Lacat and says, is this what happened last time? No, this is not what happened last time. What is that? Can we scan on that beam of energy? Uh, Where computer. Two tricorders, please. Tricorders appear. And they'll start scanning. Yeah, can we can we both scan? What is this? And where is Olin? Um, curiously, as you begin to, to scan, the tricorder begins to give you scrambled readings immediately begins to feed back all of these contradictory equations and whatnot, these these power readings that are not making any sense. Same for you. Same for me. This is Chief Tech to the Captain. Captain, you are getting flooded with messages right now because Bridge is reporting that Commander Exio has vanished from the center chair and cannot be reached. And as you're hearing this report, you get a frantic <laughs> sound of Chief Tech going, oh, Chief Tech to the Captain. Go for the captain. What's happening? 
Captain, we might have a situation in Holodeck 1. Uh, the ambassador has turned into a column of light. So there's no light where there should be, and there's light where there shouldn't. I'm on my way. Oh, okay. As you leap up... Hold it together. We're fine. We're okay. We're cool. Okay. You know, Saul, it wasn't just 30 minutes ago where you were getting ready to go to bed at night when you had Asmi Shanto in your quarters asking them questions and having a quick conversation with them. She's standing in front of you with a data pad just saying, okay, so just so I understand you, Captain. You're you're asking for me to check on the legality of the substance? The legal status overall. Yes, any important legal history or precedent. Basically give me an overview. I want to know about how it has been regulated and how it currently is now. Well, off the top of my head, I can tell you that it is Obviously, it's illegal on board starships, but it's treated a lot like Romulan ale. Sometimes it finds its way on board. You said obviously. Obviously regulated. Why? Well, it was a drug that was used frequently during the Dominion War, specifically, by interrogators. It would change the emotional state of certain species to allow them to make their prisoners a little more pliable when torture wasn't working. It's been Long used sorted in, history of such substances. It's been weaponized mainly to sort of placate prisoners and sometimes to just subdue. It's, it has been used, if I recall from my academy years when we were talking about illicit substances in my law review. Uh, it has been used in the past on Vulcan to control violent outbursts during Ponfar, but the side effects are intense. It usually leads to more violent actions later, unless it is properly applied. Um, for example, in the Dominion War, there were a lot of documentations of where people would be medicated with this drug would become placid, and then when the drug wore off, would go into a full-blown violent psychotic state. Um, as a joke, sometimes the Vorta of the Dominion, after interrogating prisoners, would put those prisoners back amongst their friends and watch. The Federation and a few of the Council species decided to ban it completely. Um, there has been theory that there has been a medical application for it, but that would require a pretty deft hand, and the Federation has decided it's just easier to ban the substance altogether since there are other alternatives. I see. Captain, are th I have to ask before we continue, is there a reason why you're asking me about this substance in particular right now, sir? Yeah, I'm not giving you a pop quiz, so yes. Aye, sir. You don't have those kind of attorney privileges just yet, future Jack officer. Someday. Yes, sir. 
please send me a briefing of everything you've told me and put together a packet, any mentions in legal or medical literature, particularly emphasize anything from the Dominion War, but comprehensive. I need to know everything about this. Hi, Captain. I'm on it right now. Oh, not right now. It's the end of the day, Shanta. Captain Fees, I, I've, I've just been looking at paperwork all day. I'm, I'm, I'm up for this. Whenever you do it is your own affair. I don't want to see it before Alpha Shift. Get out of here. Hi, Captain. And Have a good night. Thank you, sir. And with that, she leaves. As you're proceeding down towards the holodeck, you're remembering... It wasn't long ago where that was your biggest problem. That was the excitement. <laughs> that was the biggest thing you had going on. Um, what you're looking at is a bunch of dazed crew members standing at attention as you walk past them, looking a little confused and kind of glancing around. They acknowledge you. You too kind of feel a little bit of that fuzziness. And as you enter the holodeck, you are amazed at the sight. You see Lacat and chief tech standing there with a pillar of light in the vague outline of what looks like a, 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 a humanoid in the center of it. What's going on here? Well, we shouldn't have touched it. <laughs> <laughs> and tech continues to explain. Okay. What? <laughs> Cut back to Exio. Um, Exio you now have completely dislodged that disc. It is out of the hands of Olin. It's across the room. It doesn't seem active right now. Yes. There is a pulsing, like, high-pitched sound that's just <laughs> emanating from Olin. Olin sounds like if you sped up the noise of a warp core makes. It's kind of what Olin sounds like right now. Higher pitch and pulsing. And you can see those 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 pulse, that, that, that pulse of, like, almost purplish like styled energy just emitting from them just and i'm going to experiment with walking slightly closer to them but cautiously and seeing if i dematerialize as i get closer as you get closer to them you start to see the color fade from your uniform and begins to and walking back. Well, that's wonderful. I am the least equipped officer to help you right now, Owen, and I'm very sorry for that. Okay. And if I'm not, I'm gonna damn well wake someone up who can, and I blip to the uh, med bay, and I'm hypospraying all of the medical personnel and trying to wake them up. Okay. When you appear in the med bay, you see McCrell was obviously working late. She is currently completely blacked out, slumped over her desk. Yes. Um, cup of tea has spilled across a couple of data pads. It looks like this place has been just, it looks like somebody picked up the med bay and shook it a little bit and set it back down again. You can <laughs> see a couple of the personnel have been hurled across the room. And One of them is on the, what's that? De-iced. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, you see a bunch of the medical personnel in here. You immediately grab a hypo spray and set it to the right settings, moving over, and are frustrated to see nothing, nothing. 
as you move systematically through down, the hypospray is not fun. You, the medicine is being injected. It's working properly. It, nobody is waking up. Okay. And then there's a groaning sound from inside McCrell's office. Okay. As you move over, McCrell's eyes are slowly opening. They look dilated. Um, there is a strange substance that has spilled across McCrell's desk that was in their tea. You see these bizarre-looking leaflets. These um, that is from an unidentifiable plant. The moment you stare at it, you're not sure what you're looking at. But McCrell, you are coming out of one of the worst headaches you have ever had. <laughs> As your eyes are slowly starting to open, you feel yourself being pulled free from something. It literally feels like if your brain was waking up from a hangover because somebody grabbed it and ripped it out of unconsciousness, that's what your brain feels like right now. Your eyes begin to slowly focus and you see Exio is down looking at you and you can hear her voice almost sounds distant down a hallway. Doctor, can you hear me? I reach for the hypospray. <laughs> You see this weekly, the doctor reaches for the hypospray. I administer it on myself. No effect. You don't feel any difference. Something is not right. No, the entire crew is completely blacked out and none of the hyposprays are working and Olin is possibly a warp core. That's the sound they're making. I I'm not sure. Okay. They sort of sound like my heart as well. It's, it's, I don't know. I just got the three joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, McCurl's going to try and slowly get up and, and, um, you. and I'll, I'll say like, take me to them. As you get up, McCurl, you feel your knees begin to buckle. Nope. And you slump immediately onto the desk. Swing them over my shoulders. Okay. Um, to help you up. Medically, do I know what is happening to me? Do I suspect anything of what is wrong and why hypospray is not working? And you why can roll a medicine. You can roll a reason medicine check. Okay. What's the difficulty? I'm going to assume that that Exio kind of has told you everything that's happened here. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just spilling. Yeah. The, I'm going to set the difficulty at three and you can burn for obtain information. Okay. I'm going to take a moment. Then. Okay. Reason. Cool. 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 Ooh, I'm assuming uh, a focus would come into play. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's one, two, three, four successes. Okay. At four successes. Okay. One more moment in back. As a medical officer, it's very telling to you that the hypospray is having no effect. That is a mm -hmm. huge piece of evidence that something is going on. Mm -hmm. um, particularly because this is hypospray stimulates the brain and wakes you the hell up. Mm -hmm. um, the only reason why a drug like that wouldn't be working is if you had been injected with sort of like a counter spray of some kind that would subdue it or weaken it mm -hmm. or something not medical is at work here. Something external or something else, some kind of, you're not sure what. The other big question is, is why are you awake? Right. You might be able to extrapolate why Exio's awake. What is different? Between I, you and everything else. What I assume it's my tea. 
You, can, you burn it and obtain information, I can tell you. I will burn it. You want to find out. Yeah. Yeah. The psychotropic properties of the drug you take to help soothe your nerves seems to have saved you from the worst effects of whatever has just happened to the entire crew. And whatever you're hoping the hypospray does is probably only going to work if you take more, which you know immediately, McCrell, mm -hmm. will be both beneficial and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. You go to your stash? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, she's this. leading you somewhere. You're not sure what's going on. Uh, Dr. McCrell, I, I don't want to <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. Just my my, my cat is a very... <laughs> <laughs> into this scene right now. Knows that I'm about to make some catnip tea. And <laughs> um, I'm just going to... I'm just going to start, you know, um, mixing the, the leaves and the ingredients that I use. And I'm just gonna uh, be like, uh, Exio, there is a rare herb and ingredient that I drink that might be helping me fight the effects of what happened to the crew. Okay. Shall we replicate it and give it to the crew? That is too dangerous. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we shall not. It is... It is, um, it has to be regulated, and I would not be able to make enough for the crew, or maybe if I could do for one or two people, but the effects could hurt more than benefit. Right now, the entire starship is completely incapacitated. And something very, very wrong is happening to Olin. And I can't hear them. If I can get close, I can maybe see if there's something that I can do that would... We might not be able to replicate the ingredients that I make for my tea, but I can maybe replicate something that would give the same effect in a less dangerous way. That's what it is, and I will teach myself exactly how to replicate it. I can do that. Let's go to Olin first and see. Okay. So I'm gonna have to walk you there. So it's gonna take longer. Yes. We can't. I'm guessing we can't. Um, I cannot blink. Can we? Can we? Is is like internal? No, he's after scolding. Oh, no one's the mad boards, right? Do it for the irony. We're just. I I'm, know that. I'm I my mad Yes, finally. I shall win the race because there's no one to grace. And I'm just gonna get on a Jeffrey's tube. <laughs> With yes, gonna act as the seatbelt since you are still technically half incapacitated. <laughs> Why are we doing this? I am too weak. I'm Once gonna again, Gina ends up on a mag board yeah. trying to save somebody's life from misusing <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I'm too weak to walk, and I'm just gonna sneak off. Oh! Alright. I'm gonna get there faster. I'm gonna get there faster. No, it, it's, it's smart. Yeah. Doing it. Alright, y'all are heading to Holodeck 1 on a mag board. Basically, down Jeffrey's tubes, up Jeffrey's tubes. Uh, the gravitronic shifts that happens when you enter the vertical inclines of the Jeffrey's tubes on this mag board mm-hmm. normally don't cause any disorientation, but in your state right now, McCrell, it's nauseating every time it shifts and goes up. And you find yourself looking at McCrell every few moments, Exio, to make sure that she's not about to lose her lunch every time. Her she- hair is bristled. All her fur is bristled. I can't um, lose my lunch. My lunch is what's keeping me awake. Yeah, you're digesting what you need to stay conscious mm-hmm. right now. Um, in your world, Olin, this column of light, something reaches into it as light explodes around you. You find yourself in this column. You cannot escape. And there are trillions of voices all talking to you at once, filling your head, your ears. They all want something. They're all telling you something. They're trying to communicate something. It, it, it immediately, it becomes aware to you that you are seconds from death. Your mind is about to completely cave and death. Like you can feel you are hoping for it. It feels like the entire galaxy is knocking on your door right now, trying to tell you something all at once. It's too much. No mind was meant for this. It lasts maybe a second, but it's enough until a hand reaches and grabs you and pulls you free from this column of light. And as you leave that column, immediately it goes quiet. And blessedly, the memory of what it felt like also goes quiet, leaves you for a second, leaving you aware that you just left something that nearly killed you, that was beyond capacity to put into words, and you don't want to ever go back. You find yourself collapsed into the arms of a being in a white robe. They've pulled you free from this column of light, and they're holding you, barely standing. They have sort of very general features, large, broad eye sockets, but very kind looking eyes and a smooth nose, a hairless head, uh, deep tanned, darkened skin that models a little bit at the top, immediately getting a sense of how ancient they are. And for some reason, you know Aotan's name. You don't know how you know Aotan's name. But when you look into Aotan's eyes, it occurs to you that what's behind Aotan is not the USS Ross, but a landscape made of broken worlds floating in the sky above a horizon that is completely alien to you. Scattered nebula from across eons of this galaxy that have been splashed across the sky. Above you are the billions of broken worlds that have come and gone through the course of life here in the Milky Way. And you hear Aotan say, no, no, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. You were not meant to be here, Olin Marginil. And now we have to get you out. I don't think I understand what's happening. No, you wouldn't. 
You were not meant to be here. Then how did I get here? I don't know. It shouldn't have been possible. But together, you and I are going to find out. I was holding... I was holding a, a, a piece of of your history, your your culture, in my hands. It's not just a piece of my culture, Olin. It is a message in a bottle, and it records. It has traveled the galaxy and has captured the memories and thoughts of every being that has ever come into contact with it. It is a remembrance so that as every species passes out of existence, they are never forgotten. It is meant to be a gift that we left behind. And it is unleashed now. And he points you to that column of light. And if we don't find a way to stop it, you and your crew will be lost in it forever. That's where we have to stop tonight. Shouldn't have touched it. <laughs> Shouldn't have touched it. We should have just left that. Oh, come on. You said it was too quiet. Yeah. What did you expect? So wrong. <laughs> I do also, I love, I love, love, love. Let's get the mature Loving-headed, empathic being uh, who hold the medallion of memories. Yep. <laughs> so hold my medallion yep. and not really tell no. them what no. it does. Let's not tell them. <laughs> no. This is our bad. This is on us. We'll I've see. been wondering. I, I I've legit been wondering how long it was going to take before somebody who had telepathic abilities touched this thing. Oh, no. And I what was like, I, are they, I guess this is happening tonight. I had a whole mission. I'm so <laughs> a whole mission plan for you guys. And I was we'll like, we'll get there someday, maybe, yeah. if we survive. I was like, it's happening on our first episode. All right, we're doing this. <laughs> Welcome back to Clear Skies, everyone. Welcome back to New Clear Skies. Same destroyed feels. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you glad I drank tea, y'all? Uh -huh. <laughs> so remember, kids, Get high. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> oh, don't uh, no, no, sorry. Uh, don't, 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 don't get high. That's that's the lesson here. Okay, okay, fine. Gina says get high. Fine. <laughs> All right, you know what? I give up. I tap out. <laughs> I don't know what the right answer is here. <laughs> My dare officer from fifth grade is so angry at me right now. All right. Um, that's gonna do it for us tonight. Yeah. We will uh we will catch you guys for <laughs> part two um i had a whole episode name for this and everything it's a good thing we didn't announce it before the episode started because it ain't that episode anymore so we will uh we will catch you back at the same time next monday night so stay tuned my friends until then hailing frequencies are closed <laughs>